Flyover Politics Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Flyover Politics Podcast. It's the 9th of April, year of our Lord, 2018. Welcome back. Yeah, I've been off the grid for a long time. Not a whole lot changed in that time. But we'll get to my vacation. And uh, we're going to get back to business now. We'll do another podcast on uh, Sunday. Should be Sunday the uh, doggone 14th. And uh, get back in rhythm. But, of course, got to start these gun nuts. Uh, they're still out there. Nothing's really changed, like I said. I just want to make sure you know that it still hasn't changed. 58% of people agree if you have a gun, you're safer. And then less than, it, it, what was it, found that fewer than half of the students, 13 to 17, agree with these wahoos. But since it's been two weeks we've done a podcast, a lot of pontificating in the previous, about how this is just a big voter sham. And then it really wasn't about the kids. So right up front, head count, 4,800 new voters registered. Yeah, 4,800. That's that's what they were doing there. They're getting voters. Yeah, okay. Also, NBC ran for a week that there was 800,000 people there, but of course we know it's only 220 but it took them forever to actually retract that number. CNN took until the 27th of March to say what well, we said. Of course, they said it this way. How the Parkland students pulled off a massive national protest in only five weeks. And then they list all the people, including Penn and Jerry's and all the media and everybody that really, really cared, you know, about this. Which leads me to the most shocking article, which actually came from the Washington Post. Who's actually attended the March for Our Lives? No, it wasn't mostly young adults. No. The days before and after the two million Americans, they say, which is total lie, did the whole thing. However... The young faces and advocates have created an assumption that youth and students are the core of the movement. My research tells a different story about who participated in the March for Lives. As part of my research on the American resistance, 
I've been working with a research team to survey protesters. And basically they served, collected 1,745 participants' information. As you break it down, uh, let's get to just the nitty-gritty. Like other resist protests and like previous gun control marches, it was mostly women. 85, uh, the women's march was 85% women. The march for our lives was 70 Further, participants had higher education, which once again means smart people don't need guns. 72% had a bachelor's. Um, contrary to what's been important in many media outlets, March for Lives crowd was not primarily made of teenagers. Only about 10% of the participants were under 18. The average age of the adults was just under 49. Thank you very much. Which is older than the participants at other marches I've surveyed. 27% of the participants at the March for Lives had never protested before, a group that less politically engaged in general. Only about a third of them had contacted an official. Only a three-quarters have ever voted. Uh, that kind of sums it up. 12% of the people are new, were new to protests reported that they were motivated to join the march because of gun control issue, compared with 60% protesting Trump. Of that 60%, 56% Trump. 42% the mid, mid terms March for Life protesters also were likely to identify as 79% left leaning and 89% voted for Hillary Clinton. So it's exactly what this dumbass normal American said. It had nothing to do with guns. It's more and more about politics. They can find a reason to go. If we could protest fucking Tupperware, these dumbasses will roll out there because of Trump or something. Additionally, March for Our Lives anti-gun violence protest street team cash paid Los Angeles. They were hiring people just like they did in the DNC convention. Reports trickled out late last week. Stoneman Douglas teacher, the pro-gun control activist, don't speak for all students. He says it's making it harder for kids who actually went through the shooting. And the majority of his kids are not for taking away the guns. They, they actually want guns now. But they're never going to come out. And of course, the clear backpack craziness has gone all the way to Deborah Messing's stupid ass. If the Parkland kids have to seem have to seems only fair, require Congress and White House to carry plastic bags. That little douche cash chub walked around with the Tampax in his bag. Tampax. To prove that it's it's something that's going to embarrass poor young girls. I actually believe it's because he actually uh, uses a Tampax because he's a fucking pussy. So let's fire for effect. <laughs>
Well, I was in my AP environmental science class when the first cutout rang out. Immediately we looked around our classroom and told the teacher to close the door. She closed the door. Then, right when she did so, the fire alarm was pulled, so we all started instinctually and stupidly in hindsight getting up and walking out. As we were walking out... On the day of the shooting, I got my camera and got on my bike and rode as fast as I could three miles from my house to school to get as much video and get on as many interviews as I could because I knew. Well, isn't that a kawinky dink? He wasn't even there now. He's admitted it. He got on his bike and he rolled in to get film and interviews so he could get on CNN and push his excessively slimy liberal position on everything. That aired once on CBS, you never heard it again. Now, now, seriously, let's think about this for a second. How did he become the face of this whole thing? How? How in the fuck did he become the face? He's still so the face. Listen to Allison Camerata. I am stunned that four colleges rejected you. What kind of dumbass colleges don't want you? I mean, you've taken the country by storm. Yeah, yeah, that, that, what the fuck? Are you even a journalist? But that's foreshadowing. We're going to get to the Laura Ingram. But during this time, there was finally some pushback on this fucking jackass. It even had to come from Allison Camerata. I was curious all weekend if anyone who didn't already support the cause had their minds changed. Was there any NRA members, pro-gun people who yeah. were watching? And I watched because I knew we would talk about it. And I actually, there were a lot of comments coming out specifically from David Hogg that I just, I don't... Who's he? he he's oh, the honey, he's one of the big yeah. kids, yeah. But one thing I will say is that... You don't move the narrative when you use language like this. And he said, it just makes me think what sick blankers out there want to continue to sell more guns, murder more children, and honestly just get reelected. What type of blanking person does that? They could have blood from children splattered all over their faces and they don't take action because all they see is dollar signs. There's another kid, Kyle Kashub, I believe his name is, who is the Second Amendment uh, pro supporter that also was a Parkland student who has been meeting with so many politicians, including Vice President Pence twice, the President in the United States and congressmen and senators across the country. And I just think, I wish we could have it where the rhetoric isn't that any of us could have blood splattered on our faces and your life perspective wouldn't be changed. And I don't think it's productive. I don't think language feels, like that. What if he feels that way? I mean, I, I too was surprised at the language that I heard from politicians, the language that I heard from Rick Santorum, who well, basically we, said... Yeah. Brian, uh, you know, uh, we, as a, as a business... Um, have been giving these kids a lot of coverage. Uh, all the networks have in, in some, in some way or, or another. Um, and as I was mentioning in the, in the last segment with, um, Connie Mack, gun policy is boring, right? So it doesn't get a lot of TV coverage. It shouldn't. It's, it, it is boring. I, I understand that. But the policy is the, the tough part. Do you think in showing these kids so often, as often as we, we all do, we're doing actually them a disservice because the policy is actually what's going to change this. The passion, I fear, will just 
sound like noise after a while, and people will tune it out. Uh, disservice is, is a strong word, but when I was interviewing David Hogg uh, only 10 days after the massacre, mm -hmm. uh, there were a few times I wanted to jump in and, and say, let's let's correct that fact. That's let's, so interesting. Let's make Let sure we're more. And at one of the did times you? I did, okay. and other times I did not. And, you know, there's always that balance. Yes, How many it's a very tricky thing, because this is a yeah. victim on, on one hand who is entitled to his own emotional response. Yeah. But at the same time, as news people, when we hear something demonstrably untrue, right. you want to go in and so say, but When that's he called right. Dana Lash, the NRA CEO, interrupted and corrected that. But there are other times when uh, I think all of us can agree. Yeah. Uh, any of these students, uh, any of these parents, we want everybody to be as well-informed as we can yeah. about the, the contours of this debate. I think we have to recognize where David Hogg and Emma Gonzalez are coming from. There has been this increase in the lethality of mass shootings in recent years in this mm -hmm. country. Uh, the the, the, the so-called top ten list of horrors uh, is very, very ugly and very recent. And I, so I can see where these students are coming from, yeah. saying this is getting worse. It's not just that there are 90-something people that are die a day of, from guns, mostly from suicides. It's that the mass shootings are getting worse. And I do think they are trying to raise awareness of that. Andy, both were proposals pushed by a number of senators, including Marco Rubio of Florida, which of course is the site of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting. In a recent interview on New Day, I mischaracterized Senator Rubio as not being focused on gun violence since Parkland. And I failed to mention that, in fact, there's been a lot that he's been doing behind the scenes. So I want to highlight some of those things because I think it would be helpful for viewers to hear all that has been happening leading up to yesterday's legislation. So Senator Rubio, as you've heard, from uh, Scott Beagle's mom. He has met and called victims and victims' families. He participated, of course, in the CNN town hall. But he's also bucked his own party and the NRA to support raising the age limit to buy some guns from 18 to 21. This week, he and fellow Florida Senator Bill Nelson announced a bipartisan bill to try to keep people with mental health issues from having guns. This is similar to the temporary restraining orders that Florida put in place after Parkland and Connecticut put in place after Newtown. In fact, the senator's office tells me that starting tomorrow, he will be focused on getting that so-called red flag bill passed. In other words, this march does not end the push for change. In understand, but I guess my point is, is that if you're trying to get everybody together, if you're trying to have solutions, do you think it is helpful when you say things like um, Marco Rubio is putting, you know, for a dollar and five cents or whatever your coupon said, that's how much he values students? I mean, do you think that's unnecessarily provocative? No, I think it's not enough. Provoc I'm not, I don't think it's even provocative enough because I, Marco Rubio is still supported by the NRA, which works to ensure not the safety of gun owners and the safety of Americans everywhere, but to ensure that they sell more guns. And at the end of the day, so long as he is being paid by the NRA, he's not going to work to fix anything that is going to be concrete change. He's going to make laws that get him reelected, but actually don't have any major effect. Well, I mean, look, I, I'm not a Marco Rubio spokesperson, but now that I've heard what he's doing behind the scenes, he, do, he is sponsoring all of these various bills, two of which were part of the omnibus. And so things are happening. And all I'm suggesting is that maybe your ire is misplaced, um, you know, since he is actually trying to work across the aisle. Yeah, I think it's a great step that he's trying to work across the aisle. But I think so long as he's supported by the NRA, 
Um, no matter what he does, there's always going to be loopholes in anything that he does. Because we've seen again and again, we've passed gun legislation in this country, and at the end of the day, you can pass as many laws as you want, but if those laws are not very strong and they have so many loopholes that the NRA works so hard to ensure that they have, they aren't going to be strong enough. So, Lauren, uh, Lauren um, one of our Fox News contributors is Rick Santorum. He's a former Pennsylvania senator. Uh, he had a suggestion uh, instead of marching for what he thinks that you kids should do. So listen to this. Mm. Um, by the way, he's a CNN contributor. I knew him from Fox News, but he is a CNN contributor. Last, I want to ask about how you guys are going after the NRA. You know, you know I think the intro thought that we just played there, you said that the NRA is responsible, is allowing the slaughter of kids. Look, again, I, I don't want to be an NRA spokesperson, but obviously... They don't want the slaughter of children. NRA members have children themselves. People who yeah. work at the NRA have their own children. Do you think that you are polarizing in saying things like that? And maybe it would help to get the NRA on board with what some of your asks I think are. I see a lot of Parkland students becoming activists, but you over there as journalists. Do you see a difference right now between journalism and activism and what you're doing? I think that, for me, the purpose of journalism is to raise you know, the voices of people that maybe don't have a voice. And so I think that in its own right, journalism is a form of activism. Of course, as we get into the Laura Ingram, we'll see. It's finally pissing people off because he's just gone too far. And I wanted to separate that. So it's going to be on the back end of the guns because I really wanted to be able to just focus on it where it's separated and not put it in the front and then get into the rest of the shit that's been going on. But it's pushed Americans Hogwash, fed up Americans launched campaign to make David Hogg go away once and for all. There is actually a Twitter trend that was going with it. Candace Owens, an African American leader. There's something very dark and sinister motivating David Hogg and Emma for change right now. I won't be among the adults that sit back and pretend this is okay. No kid thinks up mercilessly going after someone's advertiser because they had called him whiny. Enough is enough. But you know, CNN in the last two weeks is still CNN. Okay, so let's talk about that because you, sure. um, the bill, a bipartisan bill, it was passed by the House. That is noteworthy, I think, um, about gun violence. So let me just tell people what's in it. Uh, $50 million a year for a new federal grant program to train teachers and law enforcement on how to spot and report signs of gun violence. Um, one of your colleagues in the Senate, Marco Rubio, who of course represents Florida and was there with you at our CNN town hall, he introduced a bill yesterday. It was about daylight saving time. He wants to make it year round. Do you think that helps um, gun violence? <laughs> Uh, I assume that's a rhetorical question. Well, I mean, I guess my point is, is that things are being done in yeah. Congress, but they're not being done on this issue of, of even course. his home state. And I just I, want you to explain why this would I, be his priority. Yeah, I can't explain that, and I will not debate the merits of of making sure of extending daylight savings time year round. That is not. A serious debate that we should be having right now, a month after 17 people were slaughtered in Marjorie Stone Douglas High School. It's crazy. I mean, come on. We know, Allison, you were there. met with these kids. You know how passionate they are. And you know that they're going to continue to force us on the, onto the agenda. Everything that's done in this town 
where the gun lobby is involved is meant to distract and to change the subject. We cannot let that happen. If you find some other members of Congress or the Senate who want to debate daylight savings time, uh, go ahead and do it. I'm not doing that. I'm going to talk about the need to take action on gun violence. For various different reasons have committed themselves to taking the lives of other people. And we need to find out who they are, and we need to stop. Marco Rubio's Tuesday night call for action on gun violence presented an aggressive blueprint to make sure... What is your reaction to these students being turned into villains uh, online, but also by even some Republican politicians? Are they fair game here? Well, it's a tough one. On one hand, they are going after Republicans. Marco Rubio, who actually has tried to, I think, present some common-sense immigration reform ideas has been attacked by them from the stage, in fact, at the march on Saturday and essentially said he's got blood on his hands. So they're coming after Republicans. It's hard to sort of turn the other cheek uh, and not push back. I would say... Well, Matt, Matt, no, I, I mean, would say he's an elected United States senator, an adult, and these, these kids are teenagers, some of them even tweens, right? I mean, I mean the, the trouble seems to be that the attacks are personal in many yeah. cases rather than on the, the policy disagreements. Well, I would say I think that attacking them is fraught with danger, as you're suggesting here. I mean, one is their age. Uh, additionally, look, I mean, they do have a certain moral authority here. They are victims. They were part of this mm -hmm. uh, horrible shooting. I don't think that uh, bestows them with absolute wisdom. These are victims, right? So if you recall, recall during the campaign, there was a, uh, one of the mothers of one of the people who were killed in Benghazi was a big uh, uh, person in the campaign and actually spoke, I believe, at the Republican National Convention. Mm -hmm. And people were asked about how to respond to that. And they, and, and they did the right thing by saying, she's in pain. She deserves to be able to say whatever she wants to say. She put herself out there. She was a part of the political process, and people still did not attack her personally. If, Matt, if I could raise another point, because one thing that has struck me about the Parkland students after the shooting is their political savvy on these issues. <laughs> not just keeping their voices out there, but, but taking very nuanced positions on a lot of these measures. My view is we ought to find the issues where there's common ground. Moving the age to 18 to 21, the gun violence restraining orders, background checks, mental health checks. That's where there's common ground on this issue. Mm -hmm. But I think it's still pretty messy when it comes to banning guns, which is what a lot of the speakers at the rallies wanted. I mean, if you look inside the omnibus that passed on uh, this week and was signed into law by President Trump, there were two important gun control issues in there. The Fix Nicks bill, mm -hmm. uh, which was a bipartisan bill from Senator Cornyn and others. And there was also the Stop School Violence Act, which was also in there. He's had wide bipartisan majority. Let's be honest. Donald Trump signed more gun control on Friday than Barack Obama did in eight years. There's progress there. <laughs> Mira, your response? That's, that's, a, that's a really great rewriting of history. I'll just remind everybody that Donald Trump met with victims of Parkland and said that he would support issues like background checks, a, looked at a ban of assault weapons. I know Scott would like to rewrite the agenda, which is to say a gun ban, that is not what people are asking for. They're asking for a ban it is, on assault it is, weapons, Nara, a that's semi assault weapons. That's what weapons. the students want. They want gun the, bans. Look, they actually, do want the they, gun ban. actually, they have their agenda online, and that's not what it says. You should look it up, Scott. I recommend it. Doesn't it doesn't say they it want to ban. They don't weapons. want to ban certain kinds of rifles. They said they want an assault weapon ban. Something the president talked about, okay. you know, gun for bans. five minutes before. <laughs> right. and an assault weapon ban. ban is also something that, again, the latest polling from Fox News, in fact, yes. shows the majority of Americans want. But to Scott's point, Mira, it wasn't that long ago Democrats did hold both chambers of Congress in addition to the White House, and they did get gun control passed.
We weren't when they weren't on their airwaves doing what you just heard. CNN: A brief history of how Parkland survivor David Hawk keeps schooling lawmakers on social media. I want after we played the first thing. How could he be a survivor if he was never there? What did he survive? YouTube too, puts even more restrictions on satirical videos about David Hogg. Every pundit that's conservative sounds like Anna Navarro. When in the hell do we become a country where it's okay for adults to attack teenagers who survived a mass shooting and experience the death of friends and mentors, regardless of what side you're on, regardless if it's Kyle Kaschev, David Hogg, or Emma for change. Just please stop. Oh, I'm sorry. The next tweet. David, I used the wrong handle. They, they, they're using him. He's a tool, just like I said. MSDNC host claims he was an NRA member. NRA says, no, he never was. He did that during this week to try to have some cred as a member. I, I am against what the NRA, no, you're not a member, dude. Slate's running articles. Thanks to Parkland students, one number will be associated with Marco Rubio, $1.05. Charles C.W. Cook. Apparently there's nothing this person could say that won't be amplified by those who should know better. But you didn't hear this on CNN. Parkland victim's mother, actually Rubio, really listened to me and people are attacking him for NRA support or being unfair. She stated, out of all the politicians in the country, he's doing the best. He's actually passing stuff. And he did talk to me. And I initially thought, well, this is stupid. He doesn't care. But he did. And the surprising thing about the whole incident, she's not his constituent. But he reached out anyway. Emma for change, call anti-gun and LGBTQ activism linked. Sure, intersectionality. Big articles all over the place. I summed it up. Latina, check. Gay, check. Anti-gun, check. Anti-Trump, check. Pro-bullying by soundbites, you just heard in the beginning. She's a communist. She can get away with it because she's the best. New Yorker, Emma Gonzalez's appearance in the March for Our Lives. It is... It, in its restraint, its symbolism and palpable emotion offer an uncanny echo of a classic film, Joan of Arc. Somebody started reading the article. I was going to read some of it for us. But this is the beginning of the article, the, the very beginning from the New Yorker. Since the mass shooting on Valentine's Day, majority standing, blah, 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 in which a f- former student of the school killed 17 students and staff with a legally acquired semi-automatic machine gun. No such animal, but what, 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 what do we, what do we care? All of the media. Remington, one of America's oldest gun makers, has filed for bankruptcy. Its products include the Bushmaster used in Newton. They inferred in the headline in the beginning sentences of all their articles that had something to do with the gun control, but it's not true. They were fucked up before 2012. It's a reorganization. Then there's this, Politico, Florida. Stoneman Douglas students won't be endorsing political candidates. Politico ran that as, look it, they just care about guns. Charles C.W. Cook again. Candidate A is a paid shill, a fake Christian, a loser with blood on his hands, a hater of kids. I see him at night pointing rifles at me. 
So you're endorsing his opponent? I mean, what kind of statement is that? What? Then they push this one. I can't even bring peanut butter to school by a kid and all the media, which once, you know, everybody on the conservative side, this sign makes no sense, but it was at the march. They want to give it a Pulitzer. But more signs leaked out. March for our lives, carrying signs about how terrible Trump is. Send Barron to Parkland. Numerous. Yeah, kill the Trump kids. It's okay. PPFA signs. Hey, NRA, stop killing our kids. That's our job. Oh, wait a minute. That's a sign that was there that was anti-PPFA. <laughs> I love it. Decriminalize blackness. Yeah, that was there. BLM was all over the place. Castrate Trump. Nauseating redneck assholes for the NRA. And then there was this sign, I march for facts. Two-thirds of all gun deaths are due to suicide. Eight percent of all mass shootings were done, zero percent were done by NRA. I can't read, it's too small a font, sorry. Ninety-eight percent of all mass shootings occur in gun-free zones, and on and on. On and on. Additionally, during this time frame, a meme came out like this one from West Side Fireman. I carried an M4 in Afghanistan desert for almost a year. If you feel you need this or another weapon of war like it to protect your home, you need to reevaluate the way, you're, the way you're living your life and make fewer enemies. These have no places in civil hands. That's for gun reform. I would read mine because they're all fucking pogues, but J.R. Saltzman sums it up with two tweets. Hey, douchebag, show me a gun store where I can walk in and buy an M4. Y you can't. Second tweet. When you make idiotic tweets like this, I automatically assume you were a pogue. It took you ten tries to qualify at the range. It's a freaking little 556 shooting a whopping 70-grain bullet. You can't even deer hunt with it in many states because it's not powerful enough. Yeah. That was a thing. Media even covered I saw an NBC one night when I was flipping channels. They thought, oh, look at these vets. Yeah, they're all pokes. They didn't carry a rifle. They were fobbits. But regardless, it's not the same goddamn weapon, you wahoos. I'm going to play two sound bites that show what it's all about again, as I keep saying. It's about votes. So every town rushed this out, and a dim sheriff said the following. This morning, organizers of the March for Our Lives are focusing on real change. Welcome to the revolution. After inspiring an estimated 800,000 people to march on the nation's capital, survivors of the shooting at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School are turning their attention to November's elections. You need to get out and vote in every election. None of this matters if they don't do that. During the rally, volunteers and organizers registering young people to vote. So the students and many are looking toward the midterm elections. Will we see 
a real impact come November. Yeah, Robin, there's no question that this could be a really major issue in these elections, which is something that we haven't seen in decades and is likely to put many Republicans on defense. But one thing is very clear. These young people are motivated. They are registering people to vote and they're going to keep the issue of gun control they front are, and center. That is very, very clear. The Parkland students say their march here in Washington was just the beginning. And now they want to turn their voices into votes. At March's nationwide this weekend, nearly 5,000 people were registered to vote, many of them millennials. The group is already working on their next steps, including a call for town halls nationwide on April 7th, a second national walkout on April 20th, and a voter registration campaign to register teens before November's midterm election. It was hard not to be moved by their stories by those moments this weekend. Nearly 5,000 people registered to vote Saturday. That's according to Headcount, a nonpartisan group at the marches. There's also a push called Parents Promise to Kids that encourages voters to sign a contract vowing to vote for candidates who, as they describe it, put child safety ahead of guns. I'm joined now by two of the students who started Parents Promise to Kids, Adam Buckwald and Zach Hipschman. They are both juniors at Stoneman Douglas. I'm also joined by English and journalism teacher at Stoneman Douglas, Sarah Lerner. She was in D.C. this weekend for the march. Um, we just introduced this wonderful movement, movement called Parents Promise to Kids. This is a contract that we're asking every parent and grandparent in the nation to promise their children that they will vote for ethical legislators who will put children's safety over guns. We're going to get every parent and grandparent, and we're going to rally, and we are going to uh, have everyone vote for these politicians who will focus on children's safety and not take money from an outside source. I think nobody doubts what you guys can accomplish at this point. Sarah Lerner, your teacher there on the right of the screen. Ms. Lerner, as it were, first of all, thank you for your commitment to journalism and teaching young people about it. There, We need good young journalists you. now uh, as much as any time in this country. I heard him mention making this about politics, but this is about this is not about red or blue. It's not about Democrat, Republican. It's about getting the right laws to keep us safe at school. And... I mean, we're fighting. We're the ones, we're the kids. It's the adults that have to change. We, the kids, can push the adults, but we can't cause that change until we're adults ourselves. So it's the adults that, it's the adults that have to do it themselves. And that's what we're trying to push for. Sarah Lerner, we appreciate your time. Again, to those watching, you Thank can check you. out Adam and Zach's contract at their website, parentspromisetokids.org. Download it, print it, sign it, and post it. Stoneman Douglas Jr.'s Adam Buckwald and Zach Hibschman and Sarah Lerner, journalism teacher, we thank you all and we wish you luck in your effort. We appreciate your time. First off, I would like to see the age for purchase of any firearm raised to 21. I think that we should ban the sale of all high-capacity magazines, including handguns and long guns. I think that we need to ban the sale of any mechanism that will allow a firearm to fire in rapid succession. Any weapon that's designed for use by the military, I think we should ban. You've heard people say, You'll have to pry my gun from my cold dead hands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Big voting plan. That's all this is about. The Dems have rolled out a bill, Schultz, Blumenthal, and a couple other toads, that will require background checks for ammo, just like California. That, that's a big one. But the goal is to repeal 2A. Additional articles from everybody, but I just want to show you three in the last month. 
Repeal the Second Amendment, New York Times. To repeal the Second Amendment, New York Times. John Paul Stevens, repeal the Second Amendment on March 27th. That's all they want. DNC Vice Chair suggests it's time Democrats push to repeal the Second Amendment. Karen Carpenter-Peterson is leading the way, and CBS carried it like it was the best thing ever. But I think this article I stumbled across by Kurt Schilster, I think that's his name, Schilster, from Town Hall, really sums up it's more than just votes. And he titled it, They Take the Second Amendment First and Then the First Amendment Second. I'm going to read it because it's very apropos. We've talked a lot about liberal assault on a right of American citizens to keep bare arms in defense of ourselves, our families, our communities, and our Constitution. But it's a mistake to think of a disarmed population as a desired end state. Now, that's merely the first step towards the subjugation of the normals, and that would be you and I in the flyover states. What they want is not only for us to be disarmed, but to be silenced. They're going to stop, they're not going to stop with the Second Amendment. Next, they're going to move to finish off the first. They don't want you to speak freely. They don't want you to have access to free press. They don't want you to practice your religion as you see fit. And when you are disarmed and silenced and you're stripped of any god but government, the government they control absolutely and forever, then they will have achieved their dreams. You will no longer be a citizen. You'll be a serf. We can imagine what an America without our rights would look like, and it's really bad. Oh, that's crazy talk. Really? Let's look across the ocean to see what's happening there. The British have kindly given us a a preview. They allowed themselves to be disarmed, but why would they need guns? Britain is totally safe, except London just stumbled past New York in terms of violent crime. Oh, and it has an epidemic of knife violence and acid attacks. But on the plus side, the decent people are helpless. In the view of the elite, that is a plus. When you are helpless, you need them, and you are compliant. But at least they have freedom of speech, right? Don't they? No, they don't. In recent weeks, some guys call himself Count Dankula was convicted of a crime for saying something. For saying something. It was a joke. A tasteless one. But he now faces jail for speaking words. Think about that. And the police agencies in the land that used to be bulwark of freedom and human rights are on the case. Tweeting warnings to others who might say something that offend the elite sensibilities that the Bobbies are watching. George Orwell would be would be all C told you if he was alive, except he'd probably be in the slammer too for saying things that are illegal. Let's review. In once Great Britain, there are things that are illegal to say. But no one but not here at home, not in America. Why that would never happen here. Liberals certainly don't want to limit your speech, just they don't want to take your guns. Baloney. The left is intent on taking away your right to speak freely. Take a gander at our college campuses if you want a spoiler into what America will look like in 20 years if things aspiring Castros and Chavez's get their way. Try saying what you want to on a college campus. Try saying something that dissents from the SJW gospel pushed by the pierced, tatted up, screaming weirdos that the gutless administrator catered to. State the obvious that there are two genders, not 183 of them. Or refuse to use ridiculous gender-neutral pronouns like Zur and Zip. See what happens. Do you really, do you think hugging happens? Or do you think violent, unhinged retribution against the wrong thinkers happen? Let's not even talk about due pro- process in the campus kangaroo court. He spelled that with all K's. Because there's nothing to talk about. 
Academic justice does not mean an examination of the facts and evidence with the accused offered the chance to provide a meaningful defense that include the right to cross-examine the witness against him. Yes, him. Because SJW justice is not remotely like ju- justice. It is instead a hierarchy of fake oppressors' narrative that dictate to the accused that they must be punished because of the difference between who he is and who accuser is. Guess who is at the bottom or presumed guilty? Remember, all this is not just tolerated by liberals. They think it's good that your voice is silenced. You think it's good? They think it's good that you can have your life destroyed, not because of what you did, but because of your sex or your race or your belief. This oppression is not a bug to them. This oppression is a feature, and it's spreading off campus into the real world like gangrene. And then he goes about Laura Ingram. He closes with, once your Second Amendment rights are gone, do you think the liberals will suddenly decide to be more respectful of your First Amendment rights? Or do you think they will accelerate their campaign to strip you of the rights that remain the last obstacle to their total control? And I agree 100%. If you ain't got a gun, you can't defend yourself. And they get to control you. Control. This is all about control for the left. Remember, they have made illegal the concept that you believe in heterosexual marriage, heterosexual back bathrooms, that you don't believe there's 983 frickin' genders. They've already criminalized that. So what's next? Merry Christmas. So that's two more weeks of stupid. Let's talk about Laura Ingram. The students here at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School who were taking on the powerful gun lobby may have just realized the power at their Internet fingertips. This is a David and Goliath story. And as you'll see, it appears David has won. Hogg, who has more than 600,000 Twitter followers, encouraged his supporters to boycott advertisers sponsoring Ingram's show. I reached Hogg by phone late last night. If you call out me or my friends, we aren't going to go after you because we aren't as immature as that. We're going to go after the money because that's where it hurts them the most. As the calls for gun control have gotten louder, so have the personal attacks on social media. Just one more example of the power of social media that with just a few tweets, a high school student is able to succeed at getting so many companies to pull their ads. And it wasn't until the company started bowing out that Ingram issued an apology. But even that isn't stopping more companies from bailing. Ingram now faces a wave of advertisers pulling support from her show after taunting Hogg on Twitter about being turned down by several colleges. Hogg has been accepted to several schools. He says right now he may take a gap year and he's more focused on saving the future of America. Fox News host Laura Ingram facing advertiser boycotts apologized for taunting Parkland's shooting survivor David Hogg. So listen, at our latest count, there's been seven advertisers that have pulled out of Laura Ingram's show after one tweet from you, I mean, it seems like you have a lot of power at the moment, and I'm just wondering how you feel about all this. I think it's great that corporate America is standing with me and the rest of my friends, because when you come against any one of us, whether it be me or anybody else, you're coming against all of us, and I think it's important that we stand together as both corporate and civic America to take action against these people. Do you accept her apology? No. She's only apologizing after a third of her advertisers pulled out, and I think it's really disgusting the fact that she basically tried promoting her show after apologize, or 
apologizing to me. Look, I mean, you and I both know how much vilification there has been during this entire uh, tragedy. I mean, frankly, on both sides, you and your friends have been in the middle of this media maelstrom. I mean, you guys have been targeted by right wing, you know, websites and cable news hosts. And I don't know how you're coping through all of this. David, I am stunned that four colleges rejected you. What kind of dumbass colleges don't want you? I mean, you've taken the country by storm. How do you explain this? Did they reject you before the Parkland massacre? Or, or how do you explain this? David, I know that you haven't been spending much time back at Parkland High School. You've obviously been, this has become your mission. Um, we've seen you on the media a lot. Are you going to go to college in September? And David, just last, I mean, emotionally, how are you David, doing? first, what surprised you more, apology or the powerful response advertisers? I think what was more surprising to me was because that was kind of expected, especially after so many of us dropped out. Like, that, that was one of the things that disturbed me most. Tweets in between her first tweet calling and the other tweet where she basically tried to apologize for instances that she could have done. Uh, an opponent. I'm glad to see corporate America standing with me and Sir Parkland and uh, everybody else. When we work together, we can accomplish anything, and it's important. To what has been your biggest takeaway or less experience at this point? I think my biggest takeaway from this is somebody, no matter who somebody is, no matter powerful they may seem, a bully is a bully, and it's important up to them. There have been multiple instances throughout a professional career where she's tried calling out example at Dartmouth University because of their sexual orientation and she told LeBron James to shut up and dribble. I apology for those people. I mean, why? It's just, it's really sad. It's disturbing to know could cause, could bully so many people and just with it, especially to the level that she did. But I, with advertisers standing with us, we can accomplish anything. The word bully stands out because something you a bully. In fact, commentator Eric Erickson, I want to read you uh, what he said. Having someone apologize to you and then accept it unless conditions are met is what bully. What do you say to that? I don't agree with it. He Just like Laura, she can have her opinion. He can have it's up to them. Um, but I don't agree with you. Laura Ingram is back on her show for a, quote, productive discussion that are doing that. I would only consider doing that and after she appalled all the people that she's hurt throughout her professional career because of her immaturity and unprofessionalism. Right? And I think she needs to apologize to those people that she's hurt. Sadly, Ingram probably won't be the last person to attack you. Do you worry at all? Fox News' Laura Ingram apologized yesterday for taunting a survivor of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas school shooting under pressure from a mounting boycott by advertisers. Uproar arose when Ingram mocked 17-year-old student activist David Hogg's recent college rejection and his 4.1 GPA on Twitter Wednesday. In response, Hogg encouraged his followers to call Ingram's top advertisers to drop the show. By Thursday, nine companies had confirmed they were pulling their ad dollars, prompting the Fox News host to apologize, tweeting, In the spirit of Holy Week, I apologize for any upset or hurt my tweet caused him or any of the brave victims of Parkland. As always, he's welcome to return to the show anytime for a productive discussion. Hogg was unimpressed by the apology, telling the New York Times she only apologized after we went after her advertisers. It kind of speaks for itself. Joe? Yeah, Donnie Deutsch. Um, well, first of all, let's just talk about 
uh, his GPA at 4.1, 4.2. I think it's safe to say that if you added your GPA in high school, my GPA in high school, we'll there. and Mika's GPA in high school, <laughs> we still, all this three of us together, would not get up to a 4.1 or 4.2. So I'm not sure who mocks any student for uh, being that good of a student. Um, but that said, I mean, I, I just, just generally, and I'm just talking generally here, um, I haven't understood for some time politically while it, why anybody would attack young students, high school children. I call them children because I've got, you know, babies. I've, I've got kids that are uh, older than they are. Um, I, who thinks that attacking children, who thinks that spreading false information about children, uh, which has not only been spread in conspiracy sites, but also in mainstream media sites. Uh, who thinks that's going to help them get ahead politically when it's so obvious it's only going to blow up in their faces? Joe, let's add on attacking children who are two weeks out from hiding under their desk or watching their friends be shot by an automatic weapon. So if you can't basically have empathy or uh, sympathetic behavior or basic parental human behavior towards children in general, particularly children that are coming off a horrific trial. You know, Laura Ingram told LeBron James to shut up and dribble, and Laura Ingram needs to just shut up and dribble also. She's a reprehensible human being. And the good news here is the advertisers will speak and they will continue. You might see Laura Ingram saying bye-bye, because here's what's going to happen today. I'm going to take it behind the scenes of every CEO right now that advertises on Laura Ingram's show. They have in front of them already letters say dear mr ceo of pepsi i'll make an example i'm not saying pepsi's on there are you choosing to stand by laura ingram so it's no longer you're not part of the debate if you are basically continuing to endorse or you are endorsing her behavior you're saying this is okay this is okay to dump on millennials this is okay to insult children who have been through a tragedy and any ceo at this point I don't care where you are politically, is going to call up their chief marketing officer and say, you know that $400,000 you spent on Ingram, even if you don't take it off of Fox, move it off. Because no advertiser is going to be in the position to say, I am defending that. Because it's no longer just, well, I'm not involved. I'm defending that behavior. So the same but, way but Bill O'Reilly was going but, Donnie, let me ask you this question, though, because it seems to me we all make mistakes. I, I, I can't imagine ever attacking a young child after they went through this, this hell, but we've all made mistakes. And isn't, isn't the first thing we ask of people when they make a mistake is to say, I'm sorry, well, to apologize? She, she, she apologized, and it wasn't one of these halfway apologies. It was in the spirit of Holy Week, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry if I hurt people who were... Uh, uh, Joe, but here's the difference, of... Joe. There's a difference. We all are going to make mistakes. When it's a serial behavior, and the apology was only for one reason, because she was losing advertisers. It didn't happen because of that. And her behavior stands for itself. And, you know, it, it, there's, we can all argue about politics, but there's just human decency. We animals on the air attacking children. These are just just core values. We can disagree on taxes. We can disagree on Donald Trump. We can disagree on a wall. But basic human decency. I mean, enough well, already. Uh, David Zerwick, are ad boycotts the right answer here? I'm personally pretty wary of this. Uh, I think it's dangerous uh, to see these ad boycott attempts happening more and more, uh, more and more often in this country. 
my view is let's not shut down anyone's right to speak. Let's meet their comments with more speech. Let's try to try to, to respond that way. What is your view of these ad boycotts? Okay, for the record, I don't think she ever should have retweeted his tweet. But by the end of it, as you know, she apologized. But it wasn't enough for, Dave, for David Hogg. She's evil. So an apology is not an apology. And how did this all happen? Well, it's pretty easy. The Daily Wire gave it to us. Left-wing groups team up to take down Laura Ingram. An op-ed for Daily Wire Friday, editor-in-chief Ben Shapiro argued that the campaign against Fox News host Laura Ingram has nothing to do with decency and everything to do with politics. A closer look at who is promoting the so-called, so far successful, it wasn't, but it was partially successful boycott, Offered behind her advertiser reveals some familiar names, Media Matter and Think Progress. They literally find that the Media Matter chief, Go Angelo, sent actual tweets to him, and so did Think Progress, with the advertisers. You and all, I both know that you would, you would have to sit and watch the whole show to get all the advertisers. It's not like it's on a goddamn list. But within 10 minutes, he had it. It was on Twitter. They tweeted it. They already have these lists because that's what they did for, uh, fucking the no spin zone, Bill O'Reilly. They, they had the list. They handed it to their mob. Their mob went out. And next thing you know, Bill O'Reilly's gone. So who were the advertisers that pulled? Wayfair and Nutrish? They actually uh, advertise on MSDNC, and they actually advertise for Al Sharpton. Expedia, Wayfair, and TripAdvisor, they advertise for Velshi and Rule, who actually made fun of people uh, talking to God. Do you remember, remember that? Nutrish advertised for Live with Ayman Moynihan, Moynihan smeared Iraqi warrior Chris Kyle. Nobody had a problem with that. But the amazing thing is that guys like Brian Seltzer and Chris Cuomo realize this is really dangerous because these go both ways. So here's actually a tweet from Cuomo. All these calls for Ingram to lose advertisers and hence her job seem extreme. We want to disagree with decency and people should be called out for gracious nastiness, but thought we also need to give people chance to better prove remorse. Certainly spirit of the season would make us do that. You think it would, but it's a mob. And while they're going after her for saying, look at him whine, this is stuff you're getting from the other side. Bravo TV, Lauren Bellodeck. You think that he would be defending his sister's life and understood if assault weapons weren't easily accessible, maybe she would still be here. A lot of other MSD students are back in school despite spring break. If he isn't able emotionally, understandably, maybe he should seek professional help instead of fight with people on Twitter. That was towards Kashev. Nobody cared. Joan Walsh. Wow, Kai Kashev, are you really policing who likes tweets from a grieving Parkland father who lost his daughter? Good luck handling all your stress, Kyle. Just so everyone knows, CNN would never take a side. Joan Walsh. Nathan Worlds. 
I mean, the precedence is set with Laura Ingram. Either Joan Walsh is punished here or the MSM is irredeemably biased. There is no middle ground. Both those tweets are well more pointed than saying, whiny. But the master one was Kurt Eichenwald. Some conservative pundits will never understand, yes, attacking the Parkland kids personally, insulting how they said things rather than the substance of what they say is off limits. You have nothing to add but invective and name-calling in any debate. You have nothing to add. Okay. Kyle, you continue to disappoint trafficking and fantasies. Fine, your followers are infantile. Your only form of debate is insult, and you wonder why I have no respect for you. Yeah, that nobody had a problem with that. When he tweeted out, because somebody handed it to him, all the people for MSDNC, since Kirk Eckenwall is a pundit there, the kid whose name I don't remember, apparently he had a large fan base. The kid's entire feed was libtard and other name-calling. And when he came on board, he started name-calling. And I told him this was not a debate and that he was showing himself not to be mature enough. You still haven't replied to my tweet, Kyle Kastoff says. And by the end, he says, beware of Kyle Kashchev. He's calling out his people to try to boycott me. Be careful when you talk to Kyle Kashchev. Then Ben Shapiro gets this fucking monster email from Kurt Eichenwald trying to explain his side. Let me blow this up because... It's it's pretty fucking amazing. This is what he said. Ben, I'm working on an article about you and your relationship with Kyle, the kid from Parkland. I'm not going to use his name or reasons that it will become apparent. He's been actively working to trick journalists he believes work for non-Fox television networks and taking any action is something which his Twitter account was linked. He has been coordinating with some of the trolls involved with these people. He is, in fact, coordinating with other guy for the podcast who is demanding my respect. He did something similar with Joan Walsh, who attacked him, but that's okay. Next, I engaged in a DM conversation with Kyle, which was quite disturbing. I consulted a friend of mine who is a psychiatrist, a political conservative, since that seems so important to you. And based on what he read, the psychiatrist said the following. Kyle is in desperate need of psychiatric help. Kyle is obsessed with you. In fact, our DM conversation involved a lot of irrational rage. In each incident where Kyle presented himself as a troll with no identification of who he was, merely unprovoked attacks, and someone responded not knowing who he was, he immediately rushed to you with a rational claim that press people from non-fought networks or you were part of the effort were waiting for it. You are immediately tweeting and writing about me. I'm checking the timing on how fast you're making comments. And then he accuses Ben Wall, uh, Ben Shapiro of working with this kid to get people in trouble. It closes with, and I don't, and don't forward this to Kyle. He does not need to know what a psychiatrist is saying about him. You have hurt him enough. Here are the things that he sent a child. A fraud, a hypocrite, and the more you spoo, more guilty you look. I believe you are first, but a, a first. I believe you're first. You keep going and then turned it on to Ben. 
If you felt bad, you just apologize, log off, or forget about it. But you then made it into a Ben can't debate you charade. No offense, dude, but Ben can stand his own against literally anyone. The notion you cannot touch him is quite hilarious. Kyle, you know nothing about me. Have you ever even read anything I've written? The reason I kept going, I will now admit, because some of your followers were strobing, strobing me. They learned a year ago that because I have epilepsy, strobing, oh, Jesus Christ, this is the epilepsy guy. We cover this. He goes on. It's like a disturbed shit, and he's telling the kid, you're all fucked up, and you're wrong. How could I attack you when I don't even know who you are, but there's emails showing. This just goes on and on and on and on and on, and nothing's happened. For Christ's sake, Kyle Kastchev's date was bullied. This is actually from Elizabeth Thorne. She's actually a editor for Slate. Hard pass, sweet girl. You can do better. Oh, I'm sorry. Senior advisor for a Democrat. And she was mocking a kid. Jesus fucking Christ. Nobody cared about that, though. None of this got Nutrish and Rachel Ray to pull sponsorship. But by the end, I Stand With Laura was a whole thing. Pillow, uh, My Pillow CEO said, I Stand With Laura. These are the responses. This is a clown who sells the My Pillow garbage. 50 bucks a pillow, chopped up foam in a sack. Don't buy. He was attacked mercilessly all in, over and over. And just like Chick-fil-A, which is the third fastest growing freaking fast food joint in the world. Statement from Jack Abernathy. We cannot and will not allow voices to be censored by agenda-driven intimidation efforts. We look forward to having Laura Ingram back on her Stringer Prom next Monday, which was, oh, which is today. So, there we are. To close out the gun, because I'm just like you, just... Fed up. I, I don't even want to talk about it, but I had to cover at least this last week of craziness, and I'm not doing it very well because it's just annoying as fuck. There was a YouTube shooter, and with 11 seconds, Brianna Wool. I won't send thoughts and prayers to YouTube employees. I have a three-point plan to address your gun crisis. If you own a gun, I will mandate that you carry liability insurance. I support a broad, outright ban of all assault weapons. I will mandate gun class safety. Shannon Watts, in the line of the shooting of San Bruno at YouTube, will the NRA apologize? Oh, it took 11 seconds. 11 seconds. There were people actually said she was an NRA member. She was a conservative. She was this. She was that. She was an animal right extremist Iranian girl. Few, Very few women are responsible active shooting, says Huffbo. But she sure the fuck was. And she was pissed off because they... Started restricting her videos. They wouldn't carry him crazily because she's a fucking raving lunatic. And by the end of the week, Dana Lash did a video which I won't play because it's just the same old video. And this is Michael Ian Black. This is interesting. Change the look. Change the tone. Same poisonous bile. Another one. Willis, a reporter crisis actor another reporter is it me or dana loach gradually starting to look more evil as this madness progresses 
Yeah. So it's politics. And as usual, as usual, they are the evil ones. They treat people like shit. But for some, some reason, and I, I just don't know how it keeps happening. They get these boycotts going and it actually works because everybody's so fucking scared of them. But just like dicks, you're going to see some fucking heat come on your ass for doing these stupid boycotts. Nothing, she shouldn't have responded, she shouldn't have retweeted it, but nothing she said was heinous. It wasn't bad. It was just politics. Which, sadly, our next subject is politics also. The Roseanne reboot. It's now 20 million viewers watched the first episode. The next week, it was 15 million. So you understand, that is huge. CSI gets nine. She got 15. Roseanne rating blowout stuns Hollywood. The new Roseanne ignores the very real racism of being of many white working class families. This is the New York Times. Let's read a little bit of it. Before the internet, before satellites gave us hundreds of channels, primetime television was the heart of my family's home. We didn't have any money for traveling, for shopping, or doing much of anything, so sitting in front of TV was practically the only activity we could afford. Living in a small, predominantly white Indiana town, the show that lit up our living room gave us a portal to the outside world. We could travel the globe and see how the other half lived, and in Family Matters and Cosby Show, we had an important chance to get to know another culture. Roseanne was different. And watching the Connors, we recognized ourselves. We saw dysfunction, fights among family, that ended with people storming out of the room, struggling to keep food on the table, life-altering decisions determined by the checkbook. Having Roseanne, Dan, and their messed-up kids reflected back to us, meeting something, and it became commonplace in my family when things took a turn for the worse or there was a meltdown for somebody to quip. And next week on Roseanne... This week, Reboot felt like an opportunity to check in on the Connors after 21 years. I wanted to see how they were managing how the last two decades had changed them. I wasn't surprised they were Trump voters. My family is too. But what shocked me was how much they reflected an idealized version of Trump's base instead of the reality of white working class America where racism and bigotry is hardly contained. It goes on forever. Another article, the five kinds of reaction to the Roseanne reboot across the political spectrum. Number one, wholeheartedly approval of the sitcom and its stars. Barr is vocal about her support for the president, so is her on-screen counterpart. It makes sense that members of the Trump administration and family approve of the reboot. Dan Silvano Jr., the White House Director of Social Media, congratulated the cast on his personal Twitter account. Donald Trump Jr. praised Barr, blah, 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 blah. Number two, Conscious support for the depiction of familial struggles. Variety TV critic Sonia Soraya praised Roseanne for confronting the same harsh realities as the original show did. Connors have long been seen as one of the most accurate depictions of the working class, America, on television, and their series premiere continued the traditional, or the tradition, Soraya said. And they go over the whole thing. Blah, 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 blah. Comedian Sarah Silverman tweeted that she loved the reboot because it's how it portrayed the turmoil many families have experienced as Trump, an elected president. That familiar feeling of the old, but with comedy and content so totally of this moment, like the angst within closed families over politics. Hope you all let it go 
let go of needling art to reflect, express only what you feel yourself. That's not what art's for. Critics, number three of the show, how the show inaccurately represents Trump voters, Jared Sexton, we're going to read in a second. Oh, it's just horrible. Number four, disapproval of how the sitcom treats politics. Linda Holmes hosts the NPR's Pop Cultural Happy Hour, engages Saran online conversation. The resolution for Jackie and Roseanne fighting was for them to realize that the differing political values did not matter. Holmes argued, and that is a dangerous conclusion. It treats politics like a separable, irrelevant disagreement that doesn't actually have any consequences. It basically treats policies as an emotional issue for white people, something that they need to work out with each other, but not as something that makes everyone's lives better or for worse. Oh, Jesus Christ, you need to lighten up. And number five, realization that Roseanne might not be worth watching at all, and that's what Kumal Nadaji I can't bring myself to watch a person who mocks teens whose friends were murdered, who traffics in conspiracy theories that damages our world and reality. Comedian Billy Eichner expresses support in Ajahn's word, plenty of other shows to watch. In a piece for the New York Times, Roxana Gay recognized that Roseanne Premier was in fact funny, but that she will not be watching further. This fictional family and the show's very real curator are further normalizing Trump and his warped, harmful political ideologies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joanne Reed retweeted that one because it can't be mainstream. You can't have this. From another article, as I watched the first two episodes of Roseanne Reboot, I thought again about accountability. I laughed, yes, and enjoyed seeing the Connor family back on my screen. My first reaction was that the show was excellent, but I could not set aside what I know of Roseanne Barr and how toxic and dangerous her current public persona is. I cannot overlook how the Connor family came together to support Mark as he was bullied at school for his gender presentation. After voting for a president who actively works against transgender community, they voted for a president who doesn't think the black life of the granddaughter matters. Jesus fucking Christ. Sextons, this is a montage, and I'm reading this so I can go off. So bear with me. This, I got a point here. I got a point. I got to get through all the stupid to get to the point. So here's some more stupid. J.Y. Sexton. The Roseanne reboot is going to be popular with Trump crowd because it provides a sanitary, cleaned-up reality in which they are just concerned about their country. It's fiction. We're going to see more and more of this, that this movement is about working-class people who just don't know what to do anymore. That's the heart of the show. It's a fiction we're going to see more and more of. That this. Oh, I repeated it. That's the, okay, to save off any criticism, they're now mixed-race family, the grandson who challenges gender binaries. It's an attempt to stop any argument that this is a racist or ignorant movement. But it's cleaned-up lie. To support Trump in the way Roseanne does in the show, you'd have to turn a blind eye to Trump's many, many bigoted statements. There are none, but go ahead. Television narratives do this. They sell idealized versions of yourself back to you. Roseanne is going to propose because it might be one, the one thing that reassures Trump base that they're justified and not intolerant. The original show was a wart and all look at middle America. They were dysfunctional and they suffer. Now it's progressing the narrative forward without admitting the other truth. Much of the white working class America is racist and intolerant. It's from generations of social manipulation, not to mention socialization and history. The show goes out of its way to not show that 
and has thus lost the pulse. What we are seeing, however, is how the part of America truly sees itself. That's useful in terms of understanding empathy and might be a way to start undoing some of the terrible damage. Whereas Fox simply spins an alternative reality, Roseanne shows it the idealized, sadly delusional view that Trump's base lives in. They're just working class to survive while the world leaves them behind. It's an effective roadmap for appealing to them on certain issues, which once addressed, the more toxic elements might possibly start receding or may lose some grasp. A lot of the job is retaking populism from the party that has corrupted it, twisted it. And remember that a lot of work needs to be done to repair the damage of corporate-owned government. Buying into this fantasy, however, could lead us into even deep waters. Before I rant, Chad Felix Green, a gay guy. This is what true bigotry looks like. He sees natural diversity in a modern family dynamic portrayed and twisted into a paranoid conspiracy in order to validate his belief of who the audience is supposed to be. He's incapable of empathy or recognizing his own prejudice. That's what he's saying to the Wahoo. He then said... This J.Y. Sexton. In the wake of my Roseanne article, I've been contacted by multiple people at ABC who told me there's a real discomfort among many of the employees with the propagandist nature of the reboot and feeling that the project is meant to modernize Trump's base. Tariq Nasheed. The Roseanne Barr reboot got huge ratings because she was playing a Trump supporter. Systematic white supremacy is becoming mainstream again, and Trump supporter is now a code for suspected white supremacists, and the red mega hat is the new swastika. Anne Maltese. Roseanne, Trump voters aren't racist. They're just confused. Also, Roseanne, pictures of her as Hitler. You know, folks, I cover this shit not to beat up the left. To show you what the left is. Like most of you need it. If you're on the West Coast, you see this all the time. This is their totalitarian streak. There is only one view. And to them, the nightly TV shows that always have a gay person, always have a transgender person, always have a workforce that is all mixed race because they actually count heads and make sure they don't offend anybody. Roseanne's life. If I go into a black family, there's probably not any white people there. They probably don't have any white people. And if they do, since I know a lot of African Americans, they probably don't like the white guy who married their black daughter or the black uh, daughter that married the white guy. They're probably not happy. It's not bigotry. It's just what it is. Black families don't want their kids burying the white man. White families don't want people burying the black man. Most people are like that. They just don't say it out loud. So when we watch the Cosbys, and there's very few white people, nobody in the regular America got offended by it. But here, Roseanne did one episode that was about the election. 
Within that, normal people. I sat with an African-American, a Latino, and a white person at work. Me excluded. And we watched this. And we all laughed. We just saw it as a TV show. By the end of that, I actually turned a, I took an informal survey and everybody said, well, goddamn, they got, everybody got a blow in. You got the deplorable in there, the pussy hat, I stand with her, blah, blah, blah. You had both sides. It was just comedy. But you had an integrated or mixed family. You had a kid that's running through, I don't know how I want to dress. And they showed it as a normal family would be. A grandpa who's older going, what the fuck, I wish you were wearing some pants. But by the end, he respected the kid because he was gutsy. They covered gun violence in this. They covered woman's right to choose. It was no different than 1990. The same subjects they covered. But see... For the true bigots, the Nasids who hate all white people, Tariq Nasheed. For this Sexton dude who's I never heard from, New York Times, WAPO. The true bigots, if you ever say anything positive, you must go away. Thus, last man standing went away. Can't have a show that actually is conservative, even though on that show... Everybody but the husband was for Hillary. You're normalizing bigots. Okay, so I want to I want to ask this question. Does that mean everybody who voted for Hillary was normalizing lying? Does everybody who ever voted for Obama normalizing handing the Middle East back to ISIS? See, it's it's gone beyond politics for these people. It goes back to the podcast we talked a while back about civil war. They want a civil war. And Schilster's right. They don't want you to have guns because they don't want you to open your fucking mouth ever. You're either going to eat their shit every day or we're going to shut you the fuck up. And because we can't anymore, because we've actually gotten alternate news sources other than Fox out there, other views are escaping. And they can't handle that. They can't handle that people can go on the TV and go, you know, I, I don't agree with everything the president does, but what he did here was okay. I agree with the tax plan. I agree we should probably start smacking China back because we have a huge deficit. I agree the borders probably need to get addressed. Probably doesn't need a wall, but we need to address it because there's a shit ton of motherfuckers coming in here. And we still have something called terrorism running around. You're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to be like them. Because he wants to do what majority of the military wants to do and ban transgenders. Because if you don't know who the fuck you are, how are you going to go fight a fucking war, wahoos? Oh, that's tr- he's 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 gay. He's gay bashing. He was for he was for gay marriage before fucking Hillary and Obama ever were. You you really want the truth? That's the truth. But he's a homophobe, a transphobe. He's racist. Yet I can't find the most bitter, hateful, racist black person who hates all whites who can tell me once that he said something that was racist. Oh, there was something about his his rent was fucked up for black people. 
Uh, he's a businessman. Black people who rent houses fuck over black people. <laughs> That's what business does. They fuck people over. All you got is one statement about uh, some of those people at a march are good people. Yeah, he shouldn't have said that. All you have is the twisting of, I want to get the Mexican rapists and murderers off our streets, and you twisted to all Mexicans and rapists and murderers. But that's what you do, because only people that get abortion are black people, supposedly, because if you don't support black or you don't support abortions, you're, you're actually a racist now. See, this is their... Midterm shit. This is what they gotta do, as I say every podcast, to get people to go to the polls. They gotta make everybody else the enemy. Everybody else the enemy. And this inherently shows how far gone the left has gotten. When Obama won in 2008, I was disappointed. When Obama won in 2012, I was pissed the fuck off. But I didn't hate people that voted for Obama. I hated Obama. I hated the Democratic Party and the policies they were doing. They were destroying the army and they were making the Middle East a clusterfuck. They made it worse. But I didn't hate the people that voted for him. That's how far gone the left has gotten. They are Hillary. That's why when Hillary goes around and says those crazy shit, she's saying what they think. They're telling her to shut the fuck up, but that's what they say. At the cocktail parties. Behind closed doors. They truly believe everybody between the coast is bigoted, homophobic pieces of shit. It's not true. But that's what they believe. And I say to them, you're un-American as fuck. If you're so stuck and your views are the only version of America that has ever been or will be, you're not American. You're a communist, socialist motherfucker. Go find another goddamn country. But more importantly on the Roseanne subjects, as I just segued for ten fucking minutes about politics... Join our world. If one show makes you lose your fucking shit and write all these op-eds and call everybody fucking homophobes and pieces of shit, try watching every show where you jam a transgender in it when nobody I know is transgender, nobody in my wife knows, nobody around me. I have never ran into a transgender. Ever. And I've only ran into about three gay people since 2005 that I've worked with. But there's not a show on TV where there's not a transgender. There's not a gay person. In fact, there's multiple. In one episode on 911, the entire fucking world was gay, supposedly, because there's two gay people on the show, and then they save three gay people. Try watching that when you know you're just doing it to go, fuck you, middle America. Everybody's gay. You're fucked up. Try watching that shit. Try watching every show trumps the devil. Conservatives the devil. Christians are fucking mental defects. People against abortion are wackos. Every goddamn show's that way. If we acted like you would, fuck Fox, Town Hall, Breitbart, all it would be is op-eds every week. About every show. 
Because every show is just shoving liberal diatribes down people's necks. Every show. So, get a goddamn grip. You guys are fucking pathetic. To a music break. Tweets of the day. Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. 
with Tony Reed. To our tweets of the day, this is a real thing. It came from Planned Parenthood. I'm just gonna, it's so weird how this shit usually connects to each other. Somehow, some way, as I'm going through a podcast, I don't mean for it to connect, but it just does. This is Planned Parenthood Keystone. We need a Disney princess who's had an abortion. We need a Disney princess who's pro-choice. We need a Disney princess who's an undocumented immigrant. We need a Disney princess who's actually a union worker. We need a Disney princess who's trans. I'm just going to let that sit. Why? Why? And then this one, which just blew up the left, and it it, it is our tweet of the day. But I... I just want to read one reply. This is a white woman, Coco Khaleesi. She's white, whiter than me. Your views are not aligned with the majority of black Americans. What makes you think you can speak for all black Americans? And this is what she said, which blows apart all white people or against, you know, immigration. Dear illegals, we hear you're marching over the border. Please let us know how best to transfer over the lies, manipulation, and government dependency that you have to look forward to. The Democrats never met a victim they couldn't exploit. Love, Black America. Hey, Tweet of the Day! To our hate tweets, Eminem in a video murders Ivanka, Jay-Z, Jay-Z, all right? I want to make sure you understand, Jay-Z's worth like $300 million, and he said the following. You can't really address something that's not revealed. He's bringing out an ugly side of America that we wanted to believe was gone, and it's still here. We still got to deal with it. If you're having a debate over whether a guy is a racist, chances are the guy's a racist. He then uttered, we really got to talk about racism and white privileges. How white men are so privileged in America. This from a guy who was a crack dealer and now is a multi-millionaire. Yeah, we have a privilege problem. Yeah, we do. You're a fucking idiot. This is our uber hate. Harris County... Constable's office filed disorderly conduct charges against West U Councilwoman after she allegedly berated a group of teenagers. Four teenage girls were in a line at a cookie shop when they say Kelly Burke, Texas, a Planned Parenthood director also, started yelling out there, grab her by the pussy girls, mega mega, while shaking her fist. One of them had a Trump shirt. Girls left without responding. They were terrified. To avoid any potential conflict of interest, the case was referred to Westview Police to Harris County Precinct Number 1 Constable's Office, who filed Class C misdemeanor disorderly conduct charges. The parents of the girls accepted her apology, but Burke's treatment in the media is a threat to democracy. The parents of one of the girls say Burke reached out to them later and apologized. We accept her apology. They said when we knocked at Burke's door tonight, she yelled, What are you doing at my home? We told her, I'm putting my kids to bed. Go away. I, I once again, I, I want to, I, I want to just, just point out 
You were told after the election people were walking around fucking with minorities and gay people, but nobody could show it other than a video of some kids walking through saying mega, and there was a Latino kid in the hallway. This shit, this shit sums up the left. She later said, I apologized. I was not aware that repeating the president's own words was a crime. On behalf of the president and me, please forward additional questions to the White House. Basically, go fuck yourself. And then there's Chappaquiddick. And, well, let's just, I was going to wait and play it at the end. Uh, Listen to this dumb shit. It, it won't surprise you that um, some people are taking issue with the fact that this movie yeah. is characterizing this time. Bob Schrum, who was a, he worked for Ted Kennedy, yeah. an old Politico, called it a disservice. And a journalist who was there on Chappaquiddick said it's utterly fictionalized. Are you surprised at that pushback? What do you what do you make of it? I mean, the story. I mean, I knew this going into it. People think that this is this is going either going to be you know a, li- a liberal loving of a man who's flawed. Or it's going to be a hatchet job of one of the great men in society. You know, look, Ted Kennedy, his life is not just defined by this. What he has done legislatively, what he has done on the right side of history, of civil rights, of education, of healthcare, stands. Ted did extraordinary things. He also did this. As you know, New York Times, uh, they don't like the movie. In Chappaquiddick, many scenes cross from dramatic interpretation to outright character assassination. Oh, really? Uh... Fake history is no better than fake news. It may be worse. It's very possible that over time, though, the osmosis of social media, the depictable, the, the despicable Kennedy of this movie will eradicate the honorable, if flawed real one. Boston Globe. Kennedy was so haunted that it didn't trouble him in the last, least to name one of his dogs, Splash. This review is yet another one that sends a head to the desk. Chappaquiddick offers a flawed yet human Ted Kennedy. Warning, reenactments aren't the truth. Movie based on actual events, especially those which were no independent witnesses, are works of speculation and dramatic jiggery-pokery. They didn't like it. NPR, if Chappaquiddick had had been released in 1970, it would have ended political career of Ted Kennedy. Another one. What really happened at Chappaquiddick? A new movie explores the truth. We'll never know. That's how CBS handled it. Yeah. They they just don't care. Every unbiased review of this, this is based on the facts. And no, they didn't bring the girlfriends in. The girlfriends were paid off and told to shut the fuck up. The reality is, regardless of how you look at Ted Kennedy, who I personally think is a steaming pile of shit. I talked about it on the show. Fucked over good officers. No conservative would have got away with what he did. None. None. His career would have ended. But because he was a Kennedy, he was allowed to continue on. So, I'm going to see the movie. I'm going to do a book report on it. 
Stay tuned. Dan Pfeiffer, Martin Luther King was alive today and fighting for civil rights and economic issues. Paul Ryan and his party would say he was a member of the Antifa. Somebody try to poke him, make him realize Antifa are elitist white kids, but, you know, facts don't matter. Comedy Central comedian, why are people still allowed to have five kids? Name's Nikki Glazer. Whole big thing about Don Jr. having kids. Because once again, climate change or something. Gender equality, laugh out loud. Man legally changes gender so he can retire five years earlier, and he was allowed to. <laughs> Reminds me of a buddy in the Army, couldn't make E8, so he changed his race to other and made the next board. No shit. They never asked him to prove the other. He just changed it to other. And he looked kind of Baltic, so he got away with it. Robert De Niro's at it again. We are beyond trying to see another person's point of view. Isn't that the truth? Robert De Niro said in a new interview that he thinks the U.S. has passed attempts to see another person's point of view. De Niro made comments while discussing the reboot of Roseanne. I've never seen her show before. I didn't know she was supporting Trump, but I have no interest in that. We're at a point with all of us. This where it's beyond trying to see another person's point of view. There are ways you can talk about that, but we're at a point where the things that are happening in our country are so bad, and it comes from Trump. It's a serious thing. So I don't care about Roseanne, De Niro said. They want that thing fine. We have real issues in this country, and it's called Trump. Yeah. But the big hate, as it always is, we just had a religious holiday. You know the media's got a dick slap that. 40% of evangelical voters say they believe the women accusing Trump of sexual misconduct. 36% believe the president. Evangelicals, however, overwhelmingly still approve of President Trump as president. Uh, 68%. Let's discuss this kind of obvious disconnect between uh, these feelings and this behavior with former Republican U.S. Senator from Pennsylvania and CNN senior political commentator Rick Santorum. Yeah. Help me understand this apparent hypocrisy by your evangelical brothers and sisters. They seem to just be choosing policy over piety. You remember you called for Clinton to resign because he was going to be impeached and Lewinsky was too big a, a cloud over everything and he had to go. So when it suits the politics, the piety is great. And when it doesn't suit the politics, the piety is easily excused. And that is hypocrisy. However, with people who say they put faith first, character has to count. It always had. We've heard it time and time again. And now all of a sudden, everything is forgivable. They, they liken Donald Trump to King David. Well, you think that's a good, is that a good analogy? Well, certainly. It was fundamental to the acceptance of what he was as flawed because he knew it and he begged forgiveness and promised to live his life def differently going forward. It's in the Bible story because it's fundamental to the it, reckoning it, of it, why you're okay with it. And it, we it, see none of that here. It, it is fundamental, but the contrition was not to his fellow men. His contrition was to God. And that's, and that's what, that's what like, evangelicals are looking at, that this is an issue between President Trump and God, not between President Trump. But isn't Trump that convenient? And, and, no, it's not convenient. It's, 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 a, it's an article of Because they judge things that are between man and God all the time when it suits how was church today? Uneventful. They love me over there. 
President Satan. That's what many are calling President Trump after he was caught on a hot mic committing the biggest religious gaffe since Reagan armed the Taliban. Was that Joseph guy a putz or what? Clearly he wasn't taking care of Mary's needs. I mean, if God knocked up my wife, he'd never doink again. I'd cut off God's penis. Sir. I think that's a hot mic. Mike, stop acting like a tech buff. You think your great-grandfather hunted dinosaurs. How do grown adults still worship Jesus? I mean, where was Jesus when the Taj Mahal was at a standstill with the unions? Sometimes people need to believe in something bigger than themselves. Like how I believe this entire experience is just a dream inside a giant's mind. And when he wakes up, I will be back in Trump Tower with my friends to help. First is Cuomo saying all of the evangelicals are hypocrites. Second one is Colbert with this fucking stupid cartoon that bashes Easter. Chuck Todd, I'm a bit hokey when it comes to Good Friday. I don't mean disrespect to religious aspect of the day, but I love the idea of reminding folks that any day can become good. All it takes is a little selfless, selflessness on our part. Works every time. NBC, opinion, Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, this Easter, Christians must remember how faith is used to defend white supremacy, and they have the KKK in front of it. Fox News, opinion, Easter, the greatest comeback of all time, and one that is available to you anytime you choose, and a picture of a cross. Speaker Ryan did his tweet, Lauren Duca, Jesus would have hated you. That woman is a cunt. I've yet to use that on the show. I just used it, but I'm sorry. I'm out of any witty repartee to describe what Lauren Duca is. Sista told you, 850 retweets. This level of hate is bad for a person's health. Their soul, assuming they have one. Sam the Foo Bunny, political bunny, we follow her all the time. Clearly, Lauren Duca needs Jesus. But they were nothing compared to NPR. Under a category, Pope to the world, hell does exist. Well, fuck that. NPR writer is snarking on definition of Easter. The days celebrating the idea that Jesus did not die and go to hell or purgatory or anywhere at all, but rather arose in heaven. By March 30th, an earlier version of this post incorrectly described Easter as the day celebrating the idea that Jesus did not die and go to hell or purgatory or anywhere at all, but rather arose to heaven. And they now say Easter, the day Christians celebrate Jesus' resurrection, is on Sunday. They fucking hate Christians because they can't control them. I think that's why most liberals, like my stupid daughter, are atheists. They've been programmed, and I don't mean to call her stupid, she has a right to have her beliefs, but she's been brainwashed by a society run by liberals that tell you, you must have a mental defect if you believe in God. But you also have a mental defect if you believe that there's 183 genders. That's all I have to say. So let's just move on to hypocrisy. Would they be so supportive of that? Julianne Benzel joins us tonight. Uh, Julianne, thanks for coming on. I so, appreciate the invite. Uh, well, it's an amazing story, and I just wonder if I misstated it in any way. You said hypothetically, would you support a pro-life walkout, and they punished you for that? 
Pretty much, uh, Tucker, uh, real just contextually, I just wanted to make sure that my students were informed. Uh, I w had a premonition that they were not. And sure enough, most of them had no idea about the protest. And so I gave them an overview, uh, asked them to look at it on their own. And most importantly, you just mentioned parents. I said, go talk to your parents. I'm a parent. I would want to know if my student decided to get up and walk out of class for any protest. And uh, I received no backlash from my students. Um, these are highly intelligent kids. It's a great school, actually. And um, they understood it. But somehow it got to administration that I did not fall in line and um, followed the herd. And uh, they took it upon themselves to put me on administrative leave the Wednesday morning of the protest. Did they explain why? Are, are you, are you, you're not allowed to question the orthodoxy? Did they say that out loud or was there another pretext for this? Uh, there was a pretext, um, but th to answer your question, they did not tell me why. They just called me at 8.30 in the morning. I arrive on campus at 9. They said, do not come in today. They gave me no reason why, um, and I didn't find out until about 3 o'clock that afternoon when a local news reporter knocked on my door and she had the media report from my school district so she actually informed me as to why um, and essentially as it has unraveled that apparently students and parents complained about me asking this question if there would be a possible double, double standard and um, that's that was their reasoning or justification for putting me on leave so if there, I mean, just to kind of follow your analogy to its conclusion, if there was a pro-life march nearby, and it's California, so maybe there won't be, but let's say there was, would the school be okay with like 80% of kids going to that event? Well, that's precisely the question I asked my very insightful students. I just flipped it and said, what do you guys think? Um, is this appropriate to protest during school time? Usually protests take bef place before school, after school, on a Saturday, on right. your own time. Um, and I said, if, if this administration or any administration throughout the country is going to basically allow and facilitate this kind of a protest, would they do the same thing for a pro-life protest? Um, and I have a very very brave student yeah. who has actually taken that upon himself to challenge. Interesting. Well, schools don't believe in fairness anymore. The left doesn't in general. And Correct. that's the lesson here, I would say. Julian, thank you. You're a brave person to, to come on this show. And I appreciate it. Thank you it. so much, Tucker. Absolutely. Thanks. So that's Tucker covering that. That's the way it is. Lockstep. If you do not go with the liberal crowd, even as an educator, you're fucked. I didn't want it to get lost. So I put it as the intro because the real intro is this fucking stupid shit. Hi, I'm Fox San Antonio's Jessica Headley. And I'm Ryan Wolf. Our, our greatest, greatest responsibility, responsibility is, is to, to serve, serve our, our Treasure Valley communities. The El Paso Las Cruces communities. Eastern Iowa communities. Mid-Michigan communities. We are extremely proud of the quality, balanced journalism that CBS4 News produces. But we are concerned about the trouble and trying to be responsible one-sided news stories plaguing our country. Plaguing our country. The sharing of biased and false news has become all too common on social media. More and some media outlets publish the same fake stories without checking facts first. The sharing of false, false news has, has become, become all too common, common on, on social, social media. Unfortunately, this is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. 
This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. Extremely dangerous to our democracy. This is 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 extremely dangerous. That, of course, is Sinclair. The media lost their shit on it because it got leaked by Media Matters or fucking one of the progressive groups. The local news were saying this little soundbite at the end of a broadcast. Jimmy Kimmel, this is dangerous to our democracy. Somebody pointed out, did Schumer approve your tweet? Because you're the same. Another one said that Dick Durbin actually sent a goddamn fucking e uh, a letter that it needs to be investigated. Nobody had a problem, including Brian Seltzer. Then they did this, uh, Jim Hansen. So Brian Seltzer ran a story today about Sinclair producer who quit to protest obvious bias. So why is his objective principal journalist protesting right-wing bias? A guy who tweets resist takes over a podium from Speaker Ryan to protest and organize BLM protest? That was the guy. Yeah. That was the guy. And he quit over this, but he was already a lefty. Every fucking day from New Day to Don fucking Lemon, CNN repeats the same ideology. Every day on MSDNC with Morning Joe until that fucking idiot socialist, Lawrence O'Donnell finished, finishes, they say the same ideology. Every NBC network channel and local channel is forced to cover the gay parade, even though there's only 20 people like in Nashville. Uh, Anti-gun protests, even though it was 100 people in Nashville. Uh, Anti-immigration, even though there was only 100 people in Nashville. Uh, the gay parade in Nashville is a fucking joke. They're forced to cover it. They're forced to cover every anti-Trump thing that goes on. That's forced by corporate. They're an NBC-branded network. But you got upset because something conservative got out and some of these networks owned by Sinclair? To say there is no forced reporting to average American? Uh, you're fucking horrible. Next hypocrisy was Dan Pfeiffer again. Maybe we hate our president because we love our country. Hmm. Yeah, no, you don't, because all you say is our country's a piece of shit. Your entire Obama platform was America was fucking broken and destroyed by white people, and you had to fix it. Jeff Zucker said that uh, Fox News is TASS. He actually said that. And within that article, I found out, do you know... There are growing questions about CNN airport monopoly. They have paid all your fucking airports to broadcast their bullshit. All of it. They're forced. Networks get paid, and even though they don't want it, and people are complaining like crazy, they can't break the contracts. Within the article, Salt Lake City finally got fed up with all the people going, I don't want to watch this propaganda from fucking CNN, that they broke the contract. 
that made sense to me. Because when I was there, I was shocked that it was on there. And people were bitching about it. It was during the election season. But that's how you see CNN. They're paying. They pay airports to push their propaganda. It's not by choice. Matt Dowd. There's a new moral majority in America, and it isn't white evangelicals, the NRA, or supporters of Trump. It is the majority of the country who believe in integrity and government, compassion, the rule of law, and justice. They are raising their voices daily, especially today. This was March 24th during the gun march. Yeah. Oh, they are, huh, Matt Dowd? The rule of law? You guys go around the rule of law every time you can get your hands on it. Every time. To our media mash, CNN cop shooting coverage, Gowdy pushing back on being called divisive on CBS, Syria coverage, this is so rich, they're actually dogging Trump for leaving and talking like Fox now. SE Cup schooling liberals, and our bias 101, Mitchell and Cecile Richard. It's a long, long, long media mash, but I want you to focus on the last soundbite, which is our bias 101. Tell me at any time that Cecile Richard actually has a question. She's ever questioned on anything. They said that over a six-year period, 2010 to 2016, half of the police shooters, the police shooters, half of them were either Hispanic or black. So there's not a systemic bias. I don't want to waste. Let's not, let's not waste. Let's not waste time here. My question, Steve, was about how the White House responded. And you said that it was a, you said that you think it's a local matter. When these incidences are investigated by, uh, by the federal government all the time, as a matter of fact, President Trump has weighed in on the murder of Kate Steinle, who happens to be white, and saying, oh, it was a horrible verdict. Kate Steinle, it was terrible. So why is the killing of an unarmed black man any different than that? As an Hispanic American, one of the reasons that I'm so against illegal immigration and so against so-called sanctuary cities is because the victims of crimes by dangerous illegal aliens are normally Hispanics themselves. So Kate Steinle, you're right, Don, and I think there's too much focus on her. That was a horrible tragedy. But I'd like to talk about Sandra Duran in Los Angeles, a Hispanic mother who was also killed by a criminal illegal alien who was yeah, five but, but, but times... Steve, 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 you're going down a rabbit hole... So, Hold on, stop, 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 stop. You're going down a rabbit hole. We're not here to discuss black on black crime. We're not here to discuss mm -hmm. Hispanic on Hispanic crime. We're not here to discuss white on white crime. People who live in close proximity of each other kill each other, whether you're white, right. black, green, or purple. Why is that something that can be weighed on uh, weighed in on by the President of the United States, and it is not considered a local issue, but this one is? You don't see hypocrisy well, in that? I don't, Donald. I'll tell you why. Because it's apples and oranges. And again, I, we don't know all no, the no, shit. No, 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 it's not. No, 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 it's not. It's not apples and oranges, Steve. I think look, a if, cop, look, Steve, Steve, I, Steve, the fact of the matter I, is, right, the president uh, is the president of the entire country. You don't pick and choose what things you want to talk about and what things you don't want to talk about. Steve, wait a minute. When, wait a minute the Constitution when, guarantees that all citizens, all citizens, all citizens should be able to have due process. That guy should have had due process. Absolutely. He should not have been shot 20 times. Well, first, hey, look, I, I get that we have to have opposing sides of the arguments. I'm a conservative. I get it. 
But I don't know why we bring people on these networks who say the most utterly ridiculous things like everything Steve has said since we've just started this discussion. It is obvious, it is blatantly obvious that the president, the White House, has a difficult time discussing race. It's obvious. The president talked about murders of a white young lady from an illegal immigrant. Why? Because it suited his political agenda. When it comes to talking about black men being killed in this country, this president in his White House stays away from it. How many more African American men have to be killed before we consider this an epidemic? Why do, why do you have to default to the cops position isn't that the problem no I'll tell you why first of all because all cops are not white clearly uh, and the stat I cited in the last segment about in Nobody Chicago that. half of, of police what, what officers again what does that have to do with anything stop Sir Michael stop so nobody said no, nobody mentioned anything about police officers being but, white you just said that what does that have to do with anything Steve gets, I don't understand what's going on what in it has head. to do with Don it has to get to the idea that there's systemic racism within police. And I just don't believe that. And oh, certainly I don't no, believe no, no, that no, no, no. in stop, my hometown stop, stop, of Chicago. Stop, 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 Steve. Alton Sterling, that was decided this week by the Louisiana Attorney General to not pursue. So you're, it's not in and, progress. Well, no, but they were cleared, too. And they were cleared with a lot of different investigations. It's not Video in progress, he, though. You were saying he should well, wait. I mean, this I'm, is done. I was talking that about, one's I was, done. I was talking about Sacramento. On the issue of Louisiana, does he have to get involved in everything? I mean, that case cleared the officers where the, uh, the suspect was on meth and on cocaine, repeatedly failed to okay. listen to police officers. So, and there's, Pardon me. You know, look, Excuse we don't me. want him to get involved Excuse in every me. incident. Excuse me. Excuse me. Are we really going to... Are we really going... <laughs> I really he was think reaching it's problematic for a gun. here. He had a gun I really on. think... Simone, no, we please. don't know that he's reaching for a gun. Look, I really think he it's problematic here when we start to demonize... I really think it's problematic here when we start to demonize the victims in these cases. Why time... The, the question on the table is, why can Donald Trump comment on everything else, but when it comes to issues that do not fit his political narrative, we cannot hear from this White House. I think that's problematic. I'm not going to sit here and let you say that Alton, Alton Sterling was basically a criminal that was reaching for his gun and deserved to get shot, because guess what? The, the, the young man that shot and killed 17 people on a high school uh, campus the other day, he was taken into custody alive. You know, uh, Dylan Roof, who, who walked into a church and shot nine people, um, he was taken into custody alive and then was taken to Burger King to get a burger before they took him to jail. So the, the problem here is, it seems as though that when we have suspects or people who are engaged in situations with police officers that are a little bit more melanated uh, than some of our counterparts, they seem to not make it out of the situations alive. They do not get due process. They do not get to go through the process um, and, and they're not given the benefit of being innocent until proven guilty. Police officers are, are seemingly making these decisions in the streets um, and not in the courtrooms, and that is where we have an issue here. You have a split-second decision that needs to be made. In the case in Louisiana, they were going knowing that the person, or at least the call was the person had a gun. In fact, he did. They tasered him. They couldn't, they couldn't apprehend him. He wasn't listening. He was also on drugs. But, Rob, in, in the, the Sacramento, case, in Sacramento case, why well, not case, have, why not have the president, I mean, look, you're, I'm not well, saying he has to issue his verdict on this, but the idea that they thought there was a gun, there wasn't a gun, say, there was though? a self but we don't there know what many... the facts are. You have, you have potential camera, infrared as well from aviation, from the helicopter. You have witnesses, and you're compiling a case right now. It's still seven days. It's there, early into Rob, the case. Rob, there's some lab. Doesn't he I have think... some... 
doesn't he have some ability to say something without getting what do you in want the him way? To say? Congressman Gowdy, I've got to be honest. A lot of people in Washington, when they hear that you are issuing a call for unity, will say he's been associated with two of the most you know, divisive, politically heated probes in Washington. The probe into what happened uh, in Benghazi and the most recent uh, House intelligence probe into Russian election meddling. How do you reconcile those things? Um, I hear about the divisiveness. I just don't hear about it from my colleagues. Um, I hear about it a lot from people in your line of work, um, how uh, divisive I am. Um, and yet I don't have a fractured relationship with a single solitary Democrat that serves in the House. So conflict sells. Um, it, it is much more commercially appealable uh, to refer to something as hyperpartisan or deeply divisive with respect to Benghazi, um, I did everything I could to handle that like a normal investigation. Um, I was not hyper-focused on Secretary Clinton. Um, lots of other people were, including people in, in your, with respect in your line of work. Out of 100 witnesses, one was named Clinton, and out of all the hearings we had, zero were about her email. But yet, that's the narrative. Now we go over to the Pentagon, where David Martin has the latest on the president's plan for U.S. troops in Syria. It is creating a split in his administration. President Trump wants to be out of Syria in a matter of months, which goes against military advice he received from Defense Secretary James Mattis and Joint Chiefs Chairman Joseph Dunford. The U.S. military had estimated it would take two more months of fighting to drive ISIS out of the towns it still holds along the Euphrates River Valley, all that's left of the so-called caliphate. Well over 90% of the, of the caliphate that they controlled, particularly in the north and eastern portions of the country, has been liberated. But General Joseph Votel, commander of American forces in the Middle East, said offensive operations have now bogged down as U.S.-backed fighters have left the front lines to return to their families. The U.S. will keep troops in Syria in the fight against ISIS, at least for now, according to U.S. officials. But President Trump, who expressed his desire to withdraw from Syria just a day ago, is at odds with his military advisors over how long to stay. NBC News Chief Foreign Affairs Correspondent Andrea Mitchell has the story. Mission accomplished? As the war drags on, the president telling the Pentagon to finish the battle, even though the military argues ISIS is still a threat, according to two U.S. officials. A contentious national security meeting after the president declared Tuesday, I want to get out. I want to bring our troops back home. Even as his top commander for the region was saying it is too soon. Can conservatives cross over? On March 18th, CNN's Brian Stelter suggested to conservative commentator Ben Shapiro that the answer to lib liberal media is simple. Conservatives should simply work in the mainstream. Your website, The Daily Wire, a lot of other conservative media sites that have criticism of the press. I sometimes worry you all are trying to tear things down as opposed to make them better. Part of me thinks that you and your colleagues at The Daily Wire should try to get jobs then at The New York Times. If you don't like the coverage, try to be a part of the solution as opposed to complaining about it. As fate would have it, The Atlantic did just that. A week ago, they hired former National Review writer Kevin D. Williamson to be a contributor. So are liberals applauding his move? No. The reaction to this has gone, as you'd expect. And, and the one thing about... Well, what's the point, then? What's the point well, the of hiring conservative is, Okay, look, there's a phrase, at least I swear this phrase exists, though I can't find it on Google. Uh -oh. But there's a phrase called a, a show Jew. Okay. And that was someone who, years ago, when, when a company needed to 
let people know that they that they weren't anti-Semitic. They would hire a Jew. Uh, uh-huh. And that would be their show Jew, so yes. they could show the world they weren't anti-Semitic. Yes. These people are show, they're show conservatives. Totally. It, it's, you know, the Washington Post hires Jen Rubin, and they can say, see, we, no, we have a conservative. Right. And, and that's, and that's their function. And generally, like you said, they, they tend to hire people who are conservative-ish, particularly, they tend to hire people who are not social conservatives. Right. After Planned Parenthood became a major issue during the 2016 campaign, ended up, ended up on the losing side, how is the organization surviving under Donald Trump? Well, so far, several states have moved to exclude Planned Parenthood from various publicly funded family planning programs. And now the longtime head of the organization, Cecile Richards, who was about to step down and has now stepped down, has written a new memoir about her experiences. Cecile Richards joins me now. Her new book is called Make Trouble, Standing Up, Speaking Out, and Finding the Courage to Lead. Congratulations on the book. It's great to see you here. Good to see you, too. What is your mission now, as, you, as you've written in the book and mm-hmm. as you see yourself somewhat freed from the you know obligations of running the day-to-day, or, the day-to-day <laughs> obligations of running an organization right. you're your own person in, in in every way now well i you know i've been so proud to be at planned parenthood for 12 years and it's been amazing actually the organization is stronger now than it has ever been we have more supporters than ever and we have beat back as you know even though the efforts of this president and the the congress to defund planned parenthood they were completely unsuccessful last year because of the outpouring of women all across the country so as i as i transition out uh, i'm really focused on the november elections and making sure we do everything we can to make sure that women are registered to vote uh, and that they go to the polls because I think women are shaking the foundation of this country in every way and are a powerful political force. How do you shake the perception that it's democratic women rather than all women when it comes to freedom of of choice and and family planning. Well, it's not just Democratic women. And of course, at Planned Parenthood, one in five women in the country have been to us for health care. And that includes women of every political stripe. And women don't come to Planned Parenthood to make a political statement. They come because they need affordable health care. In fact, even uh, I saw last week Fox News' own poll uh, said that Planned Parenthood is now the most popular organization in the country. So that includes a lot of conservative women. Um, how have they, how have clinics which provide health care, I mean, and it's not, this is not abortion, this is about Correct. basic health care, particularly in rural areas. That's right, that's um, right. And as clinics were being closed, women in Texas and other places were having to drive great distances. That's right. Um, but how have women been affected in terms of their other health choices. Well, this is what's upsetting, Andrea, of course, by the fact that this administration is now trying to deny women access to breast cancer screening and birth control. I mean, in Texas, what we saw is the efforts to shut down Planned Parenthood actually resulted in shutting down of other health centers. Women uh, went without birth control. They went without their basic, basic health care, and we saw maternal mortality rates rise. I think that's a large part of why we're seeing women so active now. As we know, we're seeing record numbers of women running for office, twice as many women running for Congress as ever, you know, as even just two years ago. I think women are saying we've had enough of being at the, you know, sort of uh, the, the point of every attack in Congress and by this administration. I think they're uh, obviously, as you just showed, winning elections no one thought women could ever win. Uh, I wanted to ask you about an, uh, an exchange with Jared and Ivanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the Trump Kushners, I believe it was in Bedminster, New Jersey, during the transition. Correct. And they, were, or just after the after the election, after the mm-hmm. inauguration, rather, and they were negotiating with you in terms of we'll give you the funding 
if you, you know, step back from providing abortion services, which you do, but not with the federal money. And Correct. Correct. It was an uncomfortable meeting, to say the least. Uh, well, and it wasn't a negotiation because I wasn't there to negotiate. I was really there to talk to them about the incredibly important work Planned Parenthood does. And I, I talk about this in my book um, uh, about I, I'll go anywhere to talk to folks about the important work of Planned Parenthood. And, of course, we do need to be able to see people with federal funding. And, again, it doesn't go for abortion. It goes for breast cancer screenings and birth control. But what Jared Kushner said to me is um, if I can get a headline that says Planned Parenthood discontinues abortion services, I could probably guarantee your funding. And I said, we will never do that. We will never abandon women. We provide the full range of reproductive health care to women in this country, and we're proud to do so. Uh, I want to uh, ask you about your mother, because you write about your mother in the book, and I knew your mother. Yes. Um, uh, famously, let's talk about what she said. Let's show what she said as she was keynoting, I believe, was she the keynote speaker at the convention? That's right, in, in Atlanta. At the Democratic Convention in Atlanta. in Atlanta. That's right. He's like Columbus discovering America. He's found child care. He's found education. Poor George. He can't help it. He was born with a silver foot in his mouth. She was such a natural politician. <laughs> and it was. wasn't it wasn't logical that a woman would be elected governor of Texas. Absolutely. Time. And I mean you knew her, Andrea. She was as she said, you had to take her warts and all. She was a recovering alcoholic, she was divorced, she was a progressive, and yet she was elected in Texas. And so I think of her a lot these days as we see women running uh, in elections and winning elections that no one ever gave them a chance of winning. Of course, no no poll ever showed mom winning that race, but she did because of the outpouring of grassroots support. And I think we're going to see a lot of that this November. What about you? Is there a elective politics in your future? Who knows? You know, never say never. Um, but I do know there are a lot of folks right now who are asking for support and help to get elected in November. And I do believe women are really the most important political force in the country right now. And I just hope that in addition to marching and calling Congress and doing all the things that we do, that people go out and vote because that's when you really change the direction of the country. Well, Cecile Richards, make trouble. Yeah. Continue making trouble. None. She's not actually brushed back. There's no questions in that entire interview. It is a PSA for PPFA. And I want you to ask, have you ever seen that, even on Fox, for the NRA? No. They're at least confronted with something. When Dana Loesch talked about the enemy was the mainstream media, Fox actually asked those questions. Do you really believe that? It's just bias. It's just unadulterated bias. Which brings us to a great portion. A while back, we played a soundbite of... It's actually an intro of Ben Shapiro with Brian Seltzer. And he was criticizing conservatives who criticize 
the mainstream media. And why don't you just apply for a job? Why don't you work there? And of course, Shapiro joked that it, it would never happen. Conservatives don't get on the air. Well, the Atlantic grabbed Jeffrey Goldberg. I'm sorry, that's the editor. Grabbed Kevin Williamson. Let's say this right. And they started to employ him to actually have a conservative voice at the Atlantic. It'd be the first one. A real conservative voice. Because remember, all your conservatives right now from the girl on WSMV, or WSMV, on uh, MSDNC to everybody. I mean, look at Joe Scarborough. That's not a conservative. That That's a liberal. They can't speak conservative. They're not allowed to. Well, he was on a podcast once and joked. It was a joke. He didn't believe it. He was asked if he believes that abortion should be illegal. And he said, yeah, it should be treated like homicide. Just like when you kill a mother who's pregnant, it's a double homicide. That's how our court systems look at it. But for abortion, it's not. And he was asked, well, you know, what what the penalties, some people have talked about death penalty, blah, blah. He goes, well, I believe hanging. He cleaned it up. But they heard it and they fired him. Jessica Valentine or Valente, was the first to fucking do it. Kevin Williamson is fired from Atlantic. The language he used in the podcast and in my conversation with him in recent days made it clear the original tweet did in fact represent his carefully considered views. The tweet was not merely an impulsive, deconsensualized, heat-of-the-moment post. Furthermore, the language used in the podcast is callous and violent. This run contrary to the Atlantic tradition of respectful, well-reasoned debate and to the value of our workplace. She then said, I still believe Williamson never should have been hired, but I'm so glad that Atlantic is now taking this seriously. Most of all, I'm very relieved for the women who work at the magazine. Wow, this memo makes it clear that if Kevin had not really held this deep conviction on the criminal immorality of abortion, he'd still have a job. A byline reads, someone needs to print up Kevin D. Williamson t-shirts with the phrase, the limits of accepted public debate, and that says a lot about Atlantic and the New York Times. Laverne Cox is not a woman. Ryan, who was the idiot a few weeks ago who said conservatives should apply to work for MSM. Ben Shapiro. So, Brian, what was that you were asking me about? Why conservatives don't try to get jobs in the mainstream outlets rather than criticizing from the outside? I hear you, he replies. But my point was really more about straightforward journalists, not POV columnists. Ben Shapiro, Kevin Williamson firing is how you got Trump, as well as the alt-right near mainstreaming. Here's why. The leftist continues to radically narrow the Overton window of the spectrum of acceptable discourse. People put up Tashiki coats. They were not human to me. Black, white, or whatever, they were menaces of nature. They were the fire, the comet, the storm that with no justification shatter my body. He was saying that he didn't care about the police or firemen who died in 9-11. He didn't care. Now, point of record, I don't believe women should be hung for getting abortions. But I think it should be criminalized if it's after 20 weeks. I've always believed that. You're murdering something. 
unless it's medical reasons for the health of the baby. Most Americans feel that. But that's not the point. The point is, the left can go around and say heinous shit about everybody, and they keep their job. Tanisi Coates has said some of the worst shit I've ever read. But guess what? He keeps his job. And this just proves, once again, back to that article by Schilster. They're going to take away your second, then they're going to grab your first. They are criminalizing speech, not actions. You cannot believe abortion is bad. You cannot believe that transgenderism is a mental disease. You cannot believe that kids shouldn't have to take a shit with the same sex in grade school. They've criminalized it. Because they don't want a debate. They want control over you. You will believe what they believe. You will live your life as according to them. And don't step out of line. If you do, we will make you lose your job. We will dox you and treat you like shit. This straightforward. No opposing views. Which leads us to our stat of the day, which is the same subject. Brad Thor was having an actual argument with a lefty. At no time during it, it was actually Michael Ian Black who says horrible shit. And he got a, a, a fucking warning from Twitter for arguing with a liberal. They sent him a warning letter. Because that's what Twitter's about. You say something crazy on the right, you're banned. You say fucking kill NRA members, it's protected speech. NRA is bad. And that's scary. To other stats, TMZ, Tim Allen's last man standing, top of Fox reboot list. They're bringing it back. Yes, I'm very glad. Additionally, NRA totals are at 6 million members, and the pack raised a total of $779,063 in February. And got 247 in January. It was an increase of over 200%. So keep pushing, folks. NRA might actually start donating as much money as the uh, Planned Parenthood does. Interesting. Another interesting stat that did not hit your mainstream media. Father of Pulse shooter Omar Mateen was longtime FBI informant. That's why prosecutors didn't lock up my, my teen after 2013 threats. I want you to remember, they literally had him on the stage with Hillary, and that's why he was there. He was an informant. Huh. Somehow that would be totally different if it was a conservative informant. It would, it would be all over your news. 
Obama judge ruled cross monument must go. The cross has been there for 90 years. It's a World War I cross, and they're tearing it down because some atheists were offended by the cross that's been there for 90 fucking years. Then there's this fucking unbelievable shit. We were about to watch a movie uh, for the first day of Black mm -hmm. History Month, and then as soon as the movie had started, the teacher paused it, and she said um, that earlier that day she had read a poem called America for You is Not America for Me. And then she said that this kind of reminded her of Donald Trump's slogan, and then she turns at the class and goes, hey, do any of you know what Donald Trump's slogans is? And then um, everyone said, make America great again. And then um, a few seconds later, she started saying that maybe when he said that he was trying to bring back segregation. So, like, right after that, I instantly knew that my mom is going to love this, and I needed to record it, so that's what I did. Wow. So you recorded that. So clearly the rant had been going on well before you actually recorded it. You went home, gave it to your mom. What was the reaction? She um, was in total shock, and yeah. then she just, like, looked at me, and then she looked at the phone, and then she asked me to turn it up some, so I got on my editing apps, and I turned it up. And then she said, Josie... That was a sixth grader, by the way. Sixth grader. Dogging Trump during a class. And I once again say, what, could you do the opposite of that? I don't think you could. Christian couple fined for refusing gay marriage on their farm comes up with a perfect solution. In 2012, they were ordered to pay $10,000 to somebody. And... uh each couple also got an additional 1500 from the two people. So basically they got, uh, well, that would be $16,000. Now they put a disclaimer on the bottom of all their forms that legally blocks any more gay bullshit coming onto their farm. You can and we will do it, but you must donate to a Christian organization. <laughs> and it's part of the legal document for anybody who comes and uses their f farm. So that's a requirement for the fee. And go fuck yourself. I love it. Another example of Target's great bathrooms. According to NBC Chicago, police are now on the hunt for a man who exposed himself to a child in the women's restroom. Mother was with her child at about 1408 in the women's restroom at Target. When a man entered, shoved the kid into the toilet area and pulled out his junk and ran away. He was in a dress. Hmm. Yeah. That's okay. Because transgenders have uteruses too, right, Planned Parenthood? This stat didn't hit you in the face, but it hit me. 44 Dems, including Washerman Schultz, exempted Pakistani IT aides for background checks. Could that be a reason why your shit was hacked? I don't know. That could be great. We talked about about four months ago about the million driver's licenses in California. The problem is now they're super excited about it, even though 61% of Americans and 60% of Californians are against it. Democrats in California are running on that stat. Look at us. We gave all these illegals driver's licenses so they can illegally vote, and we're never going to lose power. Yay for us. Another great statistic. Nancy Pelosi ran her cock trap this week. They will be removing the actual Trump tax plan if they win the House 
And they're going to raise taxes on everybody. Just take that to the poll with you. One of our complaints about what they did with the tax bill is they did it in the dark of night and the speed of light. We'll sit down at the table and say, what would be a tax bill that creates growth and creates good-paying jobs and reduce the deficit? It's not about chipping at the piece of this piece. It's about comprehensive look what our tax policy should be in the future. And that means raising taxes on the middle class. Yeah, let's see how far you get with that, Nancy. First quarter rating tank at CNN and ESPN for Q1 2018. Full first quarter TV ratings released this week show serious year-over-year declines not only at CNN, but also at ESPN, which has continued to push politically correct causes. Uh, the comparison is actually pretty scary. For CNN, they're down 25 fucking, I'm sorry, 15% and big time in the actual young person market. ESPN is down 25%. Then this came out. ESPN AM Woke Center, Sports Center, Debuts the worst ratings ever. Yesterday's ESPN debuted a brand new, insanely expensive new Woke Center AM show starring Mike Greenberg, Michelle Beal, and Jalen Rose. The trio of talent will be making just shy of $15 million a year, and ESPN also poured tens of million dollars into the brand new studio. As if that weren't enough, ESPN also spent millions and millions of dollars promoting the new show, and well, the show officially already a rating disaster. It only had 283,000 viewers, which I believe make it the lowest debut for any new ESPN show in the 21st century. And a Thursday follow-up, Travis, the guy who's against ESPN, who I love, wrote that this result has set off panic at ESPN headquarters. Maybe the panic will cause the woke network to generally woke up. I thought that was fucking pretty funny. And then we have our last stat. And pretty much slow at the end of the show, we're going to listen to a soundbite and then a follow-on soundbite. And then we're going to listen to a gun stat soundbite that's going to prove the lie. And that's the end of our show today. We're not going to do news and social media nuggets because it's pretty damn long. This happened this week on the Ellen DeGeneres story or show. And I want you to listen to the media coverage of an interview with Camelia Harris and Ellen DeGeneres. California Senator Kamala Harris was on the Ellen DeGeneres show yesterday where she was asked to spill the beans about a potential presidential run in 2020. Watch this. People have put it out there that you might be running for president or that they want you to run for president. Um, You're probably not going to answer me, but I'm going to ask you anyway. You're right. On both counts. You won't answer. I'm not going to answer. No. We're going to vet you right now just in case. We need to know lots about you. Because people are going to want to know more about Kamala Harris. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence, or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? Does one of us have to come out alive? (laughs) Now, some conservatives were not amused by that joke. And numerous articles later called it vicious, saying she might have gone too far. Now, Harris has yet to respond to the comments. In fact, she only had positive things to say about her talk show appearance, tweeting out, 
had a great time with Ellen yesterday with a photo drinking from an Ellen mug. I thought for sure that Ellen was going to be able to get the goods on that. Oftentimes, I feel like they're able to get the goods. Talk least, show hosts more least, so than, yeah, exactly. than journalists. Yeah, exactly. Like when Jimmy Kimmel first interviewed Stormy Daniels, that was sort of, you know, made the headlines as to what he yeah, actually got true. out of her. That's true. Okay, I want you to listen to what she said one more time. If you had to be stuck in an elevator with either President Trump, Mike Pence, or Jeff Sessions, who would it be? <laughs> Does one of us have to come out alive? <laughs> would that be allowed for Barack Obama? How about Bill Clinton? Could you have said that about Jimmy Carter? How about John F. Kennedy? Could you have said that as a sitting senator? Would that be acceptable? I'm not being a fuddy-duddy on this, okay? I'm not trying to make something that isn't there. She just threatened the president and the vice president in a joke that she'd kill them if she was in an elevator. And that was okay. Didn't even make CNN. That was MSDNC. They covered it. Is that okay with you? Do you find that to be approved, approving that you could say that about the president? I mean, I don't care if you like him or not. If somebody would have said, if you were stuck in an elevator with Barack Obama, Joe Biden, or frickin' the attorney general, and you said, did they have to come out alive? Do you know the gnashing of teeth that would have came down? That person would have the secrets. They wanted to arrest a guy who said, you lie. That's the left. That's how they think. It was a funny part of Roseanne that ties us all in. And one of the things she joked with her sister and Jackie goes, that's what all you people do, violence. You always go down to violent rhetoric. I cannot count how many times I've read, kill Trump, will somebody kill Trump, I wish Trump would die. I didn't even cover the fire in the tower this week, I cut it out because it was just repetitive that they were saying, I hope I hope it burns to the ground. I don't care if they die, they work there, they're horrible people. I, I'm just astounded. How evil the far left is right now. How many fucking op-eds have I written, read on here about they hate you? They want to take away your second, then they're going to take away your first. We just read it. It is exactly what they want. They don't want power. They want control. And I'm not even a Republican. But it, I find it very hard how I could even Put an X next to somebody with a D next to their name right now. Because you don't want to lead the whole country. You want to recreate the country into a country it's never been. Open borders, no fucking weapons. And the only way you get a break is if you are gay or I become a woman. I'll get all sorts of tax breaks and love. A normal family 
in the middle of the country, regardless of race, go fuck yourself. You are now geographically punished because you don't live where we want you to. On the coast. It's, it's fucking un-American. That's what it is. Un-American. So our last soundbite is how they're lying about the gun stats and shootings. And that's how we're going to close out the show. Enjoy. The New York Times claims there have been 1,600 mass shootings in the U.S. since Sandy Hook. But have there been? Even left-leaning media organizations disagree on this number. The New York Times says 1,600, but Mother Jones says 35. To add to the confusion, Every Town for Gun Safety said that there have been 156 shootings between 09 and 2016. And Congress found that there were 319 shootings between 1999 and 2013. So, who's right? I'll keep you in suspense. I'm Anders Hagstrom, and let's check your fact. While the actual number might be unclear, one thing is, the New York Times is nowhere close. So why are these numbers so different? It all comes down to how you define a mass shooting. Congress defined a mass shooting as when four or more people were killed in the same incident. The New York Times blew that wide open, changing their definition to include four people killed or injured in the same attack. Using their definition, the Times is technically correct, but four people killed or injured is hardly what Americans mean when they say mass shooting. Their definition takes advantage of domestic violence, robberies, gang violence, and bar fights. These overly broad definitions inflate the number of so-called mass shootings. Mother Jones's definition was far more stringent. They also only included incidents that took place in public and were committed by a lone shooter. Now that sounds a lot more accurate. The Times is 1,000 shootings higher than almost any other estimate. Experts say this number only adds confusion and is totally useless for making policy. So why would the Times choose this definition? It's likely to push an anti-gun narrative in a culture that only skims the news. Like if you were to define a gun using only Webster's third definition, you'd get this. As we learned from the gun control handbook, don't talk about facts. And throughout this whole event since Valentine's Day, the left doesn't need facts. They own the airwaves, they own the narrative, because the networks are all part of the DNC. So they just make numbers up. Every town hasn't had consistent numbers ever. They just make shit up. I thought it was a good way to end the segment, and I promise Sunday, we're not talking about guns. We're going to move on. This is like the seventh podcast on guns, because they just keep feeding me material. We'll move on to something else. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politics Podcast. Please feel free to share this with your family and friends, and send comments by email at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP podcast at gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com, FOPpodcast.com. To see links to feeds of the show, links to our Facebook page and email us there. You'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page. And my blog, which I rarely do, on the blog page. As stated, our next podcast is going to be the 14th of April, Year of Our Lord, 2018, and this leads me to my vacation really quick before we close it out. Had a great vacation, went up by Bowling Green. Um, the junking there was not great. 
It's not antiques. It's more flea market. But I did score a 1962 uh, Motorola. They call it pistachio green, but it's just kind of a bluish colored radio. And I got the Golden Throat radio from 1959 in working order. So I did score two little landmarks. Unfortunately, same time, which is those that might have gone to the podcast this week and saw a hiccup or the web page, some jackalope hijacked my fucking credit card, um, which shut my card off. Thank God Bank of America is on their shit. And they saw that I bought $250 worth of pizza and something else in some town that I don't live at. So uh, they had to shut it off. I had to wait for the new one to activate. But everything's good to go now. I've, I've updated everything. The payments went through and... And the podcast and webpage moves forward, but it's just another sign that the, you know, if you don't have it on your credit cards already, you need to have some kind of insurance to back things up, folks, because it's almost impossible now with everything digital that you don't get hacked at some time. But it was a great time getting away with the wife. 31 years is a long time to be married, so I really enjoyed it. And now we're back to reality slogging away. I got the, Animal detail, she's on the road putting a store together, and we'll steal some time in September and head down to uh, Pensacola Beach, where I'll do a podcast from the beach, like I always do, and it'll be great. So, as you go out to this week, enjoy the spring weather that looks like it's going to get all of us. We had snow on Saturday, it'll be 70 degrees by Thursday. Gotta love, gotta love where I live. It's just uh, 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 a myriad of weather within a couple days but uh, enjoy that get your spring cleaning on get out in the yard mow it like i'm gonna do enjoy your family disconnect from all your doggone electronics and don't give the yeah yeahs and tune back in sunday or monday morning for the next show and as always thanks for listening and take care Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count. Yeah.